To the next eight four play holiday special spectacular. Woo! Thanks, Brendan. That was heartfelt. Um, <laughs> actually, it's kind of a ordinary show, uh, except for except uh, for two things. Two things. Two things. Hmm. One, uh, Mr. JJ uh, Jetlag Epperson. <laughs> I just came up with that nickname on the fly. Uh, is not well with done. us. He is uh, somewhere in Pacific time zone. Don't say where. Any, get any more specific than that or else... His stalker fans exactly. will be chasing after him. <laughs> dangerous for him and his family, but uh, they're enjoying the holiday. Especially especially if this episode comes out not sounding good, because then all the listeners are going to go right to his house. Indeed. Because it will be his fault. Um, so, <laughs> yes, his replacement here on the, uh, the Wheels of Steel, one Mr. Tony T-Zone Loisler. That's uh, good enough. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I nailed it. Yeah. Say hello to the nice people, Tony. H- hello, nice people. Podcast Don't. debut, erstwhile intern, super all-around guy, crazy editor. Uh, you may, Some people may possibly know you from that's Sure Dog. That's true. Uh, yeah, that's true. Dot com, yeah. which is an MMA, which I had no idea what it was, but apparently it's very popular. <laughs> you might kids. recognize me from my work in MMA. Yes. So. <laughs> from such hits as... Um, SureDog.com. There you go. And SureDog.com. Sure <laughs> um, so, yeah. What's, what's your deal? What are, what are you doing here in Japan? Uh, I'm actually here for graduate school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, studying basically like, you know, uh, mixed martial arts in Japan as a uh, global industry. Like, you know, it's place in the global mixed martial arts industry. And somehow kind of fell into covering it. And, you know, um, while I was here, also discovered, hey, I could also do that game stuff that I like so much. Ooh, that game Ooh, stuff, that yes. Game Games. stuff. We do that too. Yeah. And so somehow it was it was a joining of, of of forces, and it was beautiful. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, we'll see how beautiful it is. The podcast is just starting, but um, <laughs> but um, uh, also here with us though. Don't get uh, too afraid. We have the otherwise we're we're all good with our regulars. Uh, starting on my left, we have Brendan, Mama's Boy, Pritchard. Ooh, Mama's Boy. <laughs> uh, that one this time. Yes. <laughs> I think you can guess why that is, even. This because week. my mother came all the way to Japan to oh, see me. What a stretch Aww. that was. Um, <laughs> you worked hard on that And one. she is super nice and very funny. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you very yeah, much. we expected her to be a horrible person. What happened? <laughs> I, sounded I, surprised I, get, there. I get my personality from my father. <laughs> <laughs> I see. But oh no, she actually was even asking me as we left. It's like I, I hope your your coworkers liked me. You know, I, oh, I we yeah. love she was her. Awesome. Yeah, after yeah she's great. awesome. We'll cool. let her know. Mm-hmm. Very funny. Um, yeah, she couldn't be on the podcast, but we'll take you uh, <laughs> in her stead. <laughs> um, then we have uh, Hiroko Heat Tech Minamoto. Heat Tech. Oh yeah, Heat there. Tech. That's right. I was the Heat Tech Santa Claus. That's right. Handing <laughs> out Uniqlo Heat Tech products. Yeah. Monster Hunter underwear. 
heat tech being a um some kind of black box secret technology that Mm -hmm. only uniqlo has discovered for keeping people warm Uh um despite incredibly thin very cheap um isn't there a uniqlo opening in there's a uniqlo there is it already opened it already opened i think or october wow you frequent frequent visitor i have not visited at all that's how much i like uniqlo um, and that's our mystery guest, but uh, before I introduce him, finally, uh, rounding out the main cast, John Hype Ricciardi. Hype. Um, yes. Hype. 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 Is that because of my Monster Hunter room password? That's right. <laughs> really? That's so random. I'm just now giving out the, your Monster Hunter room password to all the <laughs> listeners see. of 8-4 Play. So if you are playing uh, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate. <laughs> In Japanese. Uh, Japanese version on your Wii U. Now you have unfettered access to right. every time John opens a room. Except you don't know what server I'm on. But that, yeah. Yeah, but they can. Well, that's true. They won't be able to yeah. find you. You can only They'll have a four letter. You. So the room we named the room 8-4 Play. And you can only have a four-letter word for your password. And I was trying to Oh, think, is that right? I didn't get that. Yeah. And I was like, what? I, I wanted to make it like Hype Train or something, but we couldn't. So oh, I just made it Hype. <laughs> nice. Oh, I like the idea. Um, how's uh, You kind of slowed down on Monster Hunter a little bit recently. A little bit. But I mean, it's more waiting for everybody else to catch up because I had already played uh, like 100 hours or whatever. So, so now people are sort of caught up. you play with everybody now? No, I was very helpful. I spent like the first two weeks just doing boring ass stuff so everybody else could get caught up. <laughs> I will say everyone has been, well, yeah, well, we can talk about Monster Hunter maybe when we get into the games. But I want to introduce our special guest. Yes. Our guest of honor. Yay. Um, we heard from, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the listeners in the, on our way towards winning the greatest uh, gaming podcast <laughs> about Japan and games and Japanese games award of 2012 um, from everyone. Um, we heard from a lot of people that they really liked our like more focused shows, our specials. Um, we're not going to change our, our formula, but we definitely have heard the feedback. So um, we don't have, um, you know, any kind of end of the year game of the year holiday spectacular thing that a lot of websites are doing because that's too easy well, just the fact <laughs> right. that we're coming out though during the holiday yeah. gives us i think some you some know, cred, honorable some mention cred. yeah yes. um it, it's too yeah but it would be too easy to do a game of the year and also none of us played a whole lot of games <laughs> this year uh <laughs> so, true honestly, you're kind of too busy i'd be a little ashamed we'll, we'll probably do something in the, in the new year um looking back at last year and towards next year but instead of that this week we're going to do a more focused thing about our guest of honor yes old friend of the show uh and and great guy uh and kind of a forrest gump of the gaming industry and i mean that <laughs> yeah. in the most i mean that in the most positive way possible He's been everywhere at, at one time or another. Uh, Mr. Greg, Greg Gman Tavares. Hello. Welcome. Woo! Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for coming Woo! on the podcast. So I'm glad to be here. Great to finally have you here. So, yeah. So, people who, who don't uh, know who you are, look at what I have here. Uh-oh. That's Whoa. right. Moby Games. Moby Games profile. <laughs> um, so, you can Got just uh, Dorito Greg Man with two Gs and the top uh, result that will come up. Uh, will be his website, and uh, you can get a sense there of of what he's at. But some of the stuff, and we're gonna go through a little trip down memory lane, a little uh, a little um, this this is your life with Greg. Um, but he's worked on everything from um, inso- games for Insomniac, um, Sega. Well, he worked on Mario Brothers. Let's just say that. Um, 
Well, the Insomni- original. Insomniac's I worked the on the original Mario Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Insomniac. Did you or no? Okay, but they put out. I'm reading off Moby Games, right? I have no idea if that's accurate. Yes, yes, created and designed the original Halo. All of that. He is Master Chief. Um, no, but Naughty Dog, um. Worked on an M2 game I did. for a little while. Um, worked at Sega, worked at Sony, all over the place. So um, anyway, we'll get into uh, into that a little later. But uh, you're here just, uh, I mean, you're working while you're here. But I am working. Working holiday, I guess some people like to call it. Working holiday? You've been here like a month or two so? Two months this time. Two months. I managed to squeeze it into two months. But you're leaving us, sadly, right before New Year's. Yeah. Um, but uh, we can say where you work now, right? Sure. All right. At, I'm at Google now. At Google now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Google is kind of one of those companies like where everybody ends up, right? It's like you keep going higher and higher until you hit the top, which is like Google. At every, one time it was Microsoft, but not really person. anymore. <laughs> right. Not at anybody. Right. Anybody. <laughs> yes. Of course. Just <laughs> any bomb Speaking off the <laughs> of extremely talented people. I just, no, of course. Yeah. Greg has like earned his way up from the, from God, from the, what was it? The Commodore maybe was your first? Commodore Apple II made games and all those things. Yes. Yeah. So I was making games before. Brendan's parents were like probably even met or something. Like, I mean, he's been in the industry before they were pushing, born. I think you're pushing that a little too far, but maybe. So, so in, uh, what do you do at Google? At Google, I work on Chrome, trying to make it possible to make games in Chrome. Oh, cool. That's cool. what my, my, they tell us Your all to have a mission statement. So, yeah. Mine is great games in Chrome. Do you do? Do you get on that uh, that bike? Do you have bike meetings where you're all like six? I have been on, on that. The there's seven people on the bike, Are and you I have been on the bike. Yes, a couple times. Have you actually wow. had a meeting on the bike? <laughs> we we yeah, only if you call it a meeting. We've had a lunch on the bike. <laughs> oh my god! Make, make it go to another. That's cafe. my image of Google. That's my image of Google right <laughs> what there. Is, I don't know what is the bike. Tell me right. about the bike. They have this bike that's like kind of with has seats in a circle, seven of them. And you all have to pedal to get it to move. It's a it's a very heavy bike. Okay. And it's just called the conference bike. They have the it there, and you bike. can you can reserve it just like any other conference room. <laughs> get the key and have a have a meeting. And <laughs> awesome. who's driving? Like a, Why don't we have a conference bike? I know. Yeah, we right? need to be recording the podcast. I think we need a podcast <laughs> podcast bike. bike. Yes. Yeah, podcast. Yes. I love how the hell though you're all sitting in a circle all pointing inward, correct? I have no idea how the gears Someone's underneath work, but there's a chain Someone on each steer. on each set of pedals that yeah. go into some box in the but center where, of the bike. Who's determining what we one guy saying? who has the steering wheel. Oh yeah. okay. the guy in the back has the steering wheel. It's like a wheel. metaphor for the yes. meeting, right? I guess so. Uh, I see what right. you guys are doing there. And I think, yeah, that's why you guys are so clever. So <laughs> what are you doing with your like twenty percent off? So I have a time super like, secret project thing. I really haven't used my 20% time, but once in a while we've had a couple game jams at work. Like mm. they're, oh, nice. they're, oh, wow. they're having some new product or some new API and they want some people to come in for a couple of days and make a game. And so you take some time off and go do that. It's been pretty fun. Were mm. you at all involved been with the, like the Pac-Man thing when that happened? At no, all, unfortunately. Or? But was... if you haven't seen the talk, um, and you're a techie at all, go yes. check out the talks on YouTube, and it's one of the most amazing talks I've seen. But talking about how they, they put it together? Talking about how they put it together and how they really tried to be faithful to the original, and right. they go over that, that there's actually different AI for each ghost, yes. which I would have never I do remember seeing so some of this. So that was something, yeah. like a really awesome article came out not that long ago, in the last like couple years, about Pac-Man and how the AI worked right. for the different characters. It was like fascinating. Yeah, and then they went over. They 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 actually made the the game the presentation kind of like Jeopardy, 
and they actually had it live. They would put up a list of questions with and then answers, and then you could vote with your cell phone while the meeting was going uh. for who the best answer was. And they played off like left half of the room versus right half of the room. Oh, so nice! Was pretty amazing talk. Google guys, yeah, Google guys. <laughs> and they're here, thing here in Japan. They're in the in the Rapungi Hills in the Mori Tower, like overlooking. Their view is like Mount Fuji. Like a friend of ours who also works there, who worked on Google Maps. God bless his soul for iPhone. Oh um, yeah, Thank he uh, you. was showing me pictures from his desk, and he is like literally has you can see Mount Fuji right out the window <laughs> from his desk, like clear as day. It's it's sickening. It's a pretty shishi <laughs> she- 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 address to yes. a pretty shishi part of town. Yeah. 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 Uh, not that the eight fort towers is any slouch. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, you know, right here and yeah, the, the heart, the... the beating heart of Tokyo. Yeah. Right? yeah. Our office is probably about the size of one of their like toilet stalls at Google. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's a, a nice toilet. toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of character. which, um, what have people been playing? Uh, Tony, why don't you step up to the plate? You've actually been playing some video games. Um, so rare these give days. Give us the, the, the low, lowdown. So you've been playing XCOM. Yeah, yeah. So, Which I suppose most people have heard talk a lot about yes. by now. But hey, guess as what? is the no, case with anything so we talk, we're going to talk about yeah, it a little. We're bit not more. going to talk about that like as if we're coming at it from the start. But what I honestly want to know is, me, I haven't played. I, I'm not into strategy games at all. Okay, mm-hmm. at all. I'm not going to be. I don't feel like I'm not going to be into one that's really difficult, especially. But I, from what I hear about this game, I hear two things. One, it eases you into it really well, and the other, that it's really, it gets really, really hard. So kind of which is it? Like, wh- should I actually legitimately, as an outsider kind of person, try this game? Or is it like, you know what, you kind of got to be committed from the start if you're going to enjoy it at all? I think you, you definitely got to give it, like, at least an hour to try it out. I think it's certainly worth an hour's, hour of your time just yeah. to see if you like it. And like the the tutorial is generally pretty good until you realize where it drops you off. You're kind of like, okay, now everything's in my hands and okay, I'll just try this out a little bit farther. And there's this point, I think after that initial hour or so, after you get past the, uh, the tutorial where mm-hmm. you could totally screw everything up. Mm-hmm. And usually what I hear from like other people that have played it, like my brother and stuff as well, they'll usually go back and be like, okay, I know exactly what to do now. Right. And they are invested in it enough to start over from the beginning and mm-hmm. be able like, I'm, I'm cool now. I, I, I've got this. Did you do that? Actually, no, I didn't just because I've been hearing so many people talk about it and just listening to their trial and error. Uh-huh. My brother as well. He's all like, well, I did this in the beginning and it turned out bad. So I was like, okay, I'll do, do this instead. Yeah. 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 Did you name all of your guys after your real world friends and family and people? No, because in the very beginning, I was like, these people are going to die. <laughs> I, don't I, can't, want- I can't have any attachments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I mean, this is just a little bit neither here nor there, but I was just having, like, kind of a discussion with one of my old friends I was growing up with, and he was telling me how, like, yeah, dude, I just saw two people check out in, like, the last month, like, near my place. And I'm like, whoa, dude, like. I know death is just around the corner. I don't want to look it in the eye. I know it's just right there. <laughs> same thing with XCOM. It's the same feeling. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to see the people I love die horribly. So I won't name them after people I, I, I know. So how, how far are you into it, roughly? I, I'd say, like, I think I'm just before the end. But oh, Steam, wow. Steam, oh. Steam tells me I've played it for a total of, like, 28 hours or something like that. That's but, reasonable. Yeah. But Steam lies. I don't think it really has been 28 hours. Steam lies. I, I think it's been something lies. like around like maybe 20 at the most. Okay. And you're, you're just digging it. Highly recommended. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's really fun. I'm, I'm thinking about actually going back and mm. playing it on, uh, 
I guess whatever hardcore mode they, they, they call it, I think it might be Iron Man or something like that. Oh, right. I've heard, and, of, I've heard about yeah, that on... Uh, I, I think, I think you know, like, at least with... Um, well, even, like, on, on normal, like, there are things that make it still pretty darn hard. Right. Like, there's a fact that, like, you know how, like, with most PC games, you could save anywhere and reload to, like, you know, like, sure. if something goes horribly wrong, you're like, okay, I could just reload that and, you know. Yeah, yeah, This game, like, even if you miss a shot or if, you know, one of your dudes gets shot during a turn, even if you saved it right before that turn, if they try to make that shot again or if they get shot at again by, like, an alien, that shot will actually hit or miss as, you know, however it was before you... Before oh, you. so it doesn't actually matter? matter what do you, how do you well mean? that's the thing everything matters and there is like a kind of weight to every action that you take such mm-hmm. that it's like you know even though like it's supposed to be randomized things are locked in every turn like if it's like it seems like I the see. game knows in advance like okay if the player does this this is going to be the outcome like we've done the dice rolls and everything so it doesn't uh-huh. matter if you've you know saved it before an action you see an action played on screen it's always going to be that way. The points at which it lets you save, you mean, basically, it's already going to be, the next turn is going to be. I think it's pretty much, it's like all determined. Probably like, like if you take this action, next. like, this is what, you know, kind of the result There are some old school Japanese strategy yeah. games like that too, where they already, like, once, once that's the next move is right. kind of planned out, even if you start over, it's going to happen the same way. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, quick thoughts on Mark of the Ninja? Is it all that? I've heard some pretty glowing things about it, and I've heard some kind of like, well. M- Mark of the Ninja. Wow. Like, um, well, first of all, like, I, I tend to have, like, issue with a lot of the times when, like, Western games take, like, say, for example, like, a Japanese setting. Right. And it doesn't always drive. Like, names don't sound really all that authentic and whatnot. Right. right. But I'm sorry. I'm too busy being a badass ninja, so I don't really <laughs> care anymore. <laughs> this game is really, really... Mark of the Ninja is really, really fun. Really? Yeah. It's so, it, like, I, the, the compliments I hear about it is that it takes the stealth genre and actually does it where you're not annoyed. Like, it, it basically... You just so, add that to my list. Mark of the Ninja. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say, like, annoyed. I mean, for me in particular, there is, like, an attrition point where, like, it's basically stealth and combat puzzles, I suppose. Okay. Like, it's like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna sneak into this room and kill all these guys and right. then, you know, move on to the next section of the game? And, like, it, it, there definitely comes a point where it's like, my gosh, I've done too much kind of, like, thinking and planning and, like, there's just a point where you just get tired. Um, right, especially right. for me. So, I mean, in that way, I guess it's one thing that, you could say, like, the bright side is you don't burn through it immediately. Right. But it is, like, an excellent game for what it does, which is stealth. And not too many games, stealth games, do stealth very well. Exactly. Mm. Well, there's not, there's not even too many stealth games anymore, it seems like. Thank God. Um, <laughs> and finally, Saints Row the Third. We won't spend much time on this, but you were, like, <laughs> yeah, it just it was just something I had, the to, hype so far. I had to get around to. And I was like, okay, like, I've heard good things about this game. I'll start playing it. I start playing it. And, you know, I just, like, from the get-go, from the music, the, like, the, the menu music is just, okay, this is, this is pretty, pretty cool. It's and as soon as good. I start it, mm-hmm. it's like, good God, this game starts hard. And it just doesn't let go. It grabs it's, you from the start. It, it does. I mean, the thing is, though, like, I've actually got, like, maybe, like, a couple hours in to the point where it's like, okay, it certainly has its set pieces. And its set pieces are wonderful. But... All the stuff that you probably don't like about, like, you know, Grand Theft Auto and all those types of open world games, they're kind of here, too, I think. So, mm-hmm. like, bad shooting controls or... Well, they're okay. They're functional. Like, like it's just driving around. Right, right. Yeah, it's the driving around, and it's the kind of like, like, okay, I have a job to do, and I'm just going to drive past these cops a little bit recklessly, and like, oh, I might have sideswiped one. Okay, now I've got them on my tail. Look, I just want to get my job done. 
Mm-hmm. I did not. It was not my intent to like you know commit crimes or like or like to like get in trouble with the cops or get shot at. I didn't by mean it, guys. officer. I swear. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like I have this thing that I want to do, right. and like the open worldiness gets in the way, kind of. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's like Brendan in real life on the streets of Tokyo, <laughs> just getting into trouble with the law. I, 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 I guess. <laughs> All right, then let's move on. Uh, speaking of which, Brendan. You've been playing the game that uh, I think probably a lot of people want to hear most about, Soul Sacrifice. The uh, Vita, I guess you would call it Monster Hunter-like action RPG, would you call it? I guess you'd call it an action RPG. Um, It's probably more of an RPG even than maybe Monster Hunter is in a different way. I mean, in the same way that Monster Hunter is not quite an RPG. Right. And uh, so Demo came out. Yes. I downloaded it, like did all the whole memory <laughs> card Vita Switch thing, downloaded it, and then yeah, didn't have a chance. Yeah, to play same it. here. I bought the I bought Hiroko's spare Vita memory card. Yeah, twenty then, bucks um, cheaper than when I that's first what it goes got for it. now. Vita stuff, you know, <laughs> price down. But um, I actually didn't uh, set it up yet. So um, we'll play it before next guys. podcast so we can talk about multiplayer. You haven't tried. I've not tried multiplayer. And the so demo I can't say anything to that. Does have a multiplayer? Yes, it is. After section. you complete the first five missions, multiplayer unlocks. Ew! Uh, you have to complete five missions in yes. the demo. To I think it's five missions. The multiplayer yeah, yeah. demo? Yes. Well, I believe so you the de- drag everybody else in. Yeah. That's well, the so demo is weird. basically the same as the beginning of the real game, right? I mean, you can Correct. actually move your save data from the demo that's to the right. real thing. It's so that's probably partly why. Okay, right. that's nice. But okay. still, I don't know. I guess that goes back to that whole question about multiplayer being available from the start of a game mm. or not, and why or it's why not. It's certainly Japanese mm. to do I mean, that. Yeah. yeah. I, I well, let's get past that. That's more of a detail thing anyway. Let's just talk about the basics. So, what is it and how is it? Okay, so you start off the game as a prisoner who is about to be, wait for it, sacrificed. Oh. <laughs> is your soul about to be sacrificed? Yes. Okay. Um, and, but before that can happen, you end up getting your hands on a magic tome that another one of the prisoners happened to have. And he's killed, but you're able to get the tome. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that tome, which can actually talk to you because it's a strange monster tome that's conscious. Cool. Total ripoff of Nier already. Um, inside, in the pages of the tome are the diary of a former wizard who is the partner, the former partner of the guy who's currently holding you captive. Okay. And by flipping through the pages, you're able to relive this guy's memories. And those are the individual missions in the game. Well, that's pretty cool. Which, and it's very cool because you can actually flip through the pages using the Vita touchscreen and it has a really nice feel to it. And I really like the interface that way. Okay. So once you go to one of the pages, you can also customize your character, gender, face all of that good how stuff. is the character customization um i mean it's about on par with monster hunter maybe slightly less uh, slightly fewer options mm-hmm. but not not enough that it really bothered me okay you can um, make a decent looking character it's not like uh... the clothes are weird like you only get like three clothes options and they're all really bizarre looking mm-hmm. but the actual faces and stuff were fine okay so you choose your character you choose your name and then you go into the missions and the missions are pretty similar to the TGS demo. The fields are small, a lot smaller than Monster Hunter fields. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can run around all of them in like a 60 second. In 60 seconds, you could run around the entire little arena. It's really just an arena, right? It's, not it's like an a arena. Map or exactly. Oh, so it's not like separated rooms. It's just one. So big... far, it's just one big arena. Okay. Not that big. And in each one of the missions, there's one particular, one target and usually a few other stray monsters running around. Um, one of the interesting things that didn't really occur in the TGS demo 
you have um, six slots for magic or items. You can um, fill with either. It doesn't matter. Okay. And in the TGS... These are shortcuts, or are these just things that you can use at all? They're they're shortcuts in that you have three slots open in the beginning, one associated with, with three of the face buttons. Yeah. And then you press the R button to flip to the other three. Okay, so these are just it's not shortcuts in the sense you're saying these are the six things you can do. Period. Yes. Like, oh, it's not. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm. That's yeah, what the, I wanted to get. At. These are the the six ways of attacking. Period. Okay. You choose them first, but before once you, you chose them, you can't use other ones that you right. haven't chosen. You have to preset them before you go out on the mission. Correct. But then in the next mission, if you're like, okay, this guy is a fish or whatever, I I'm going to get fire magic. Yeah, yes. Okay. You can do that. Gotcha. Okay. So one of the things that wasn't an issue in the TGS demo was you could pretty much use your magic almost indefinitely. They had a lot of um, uses. Right. At the beginning of the game, and this is something that becomes uh, one of the major difficult aspects of the game, is that uses are very limited. You will run out of magic usually during battle. Okay. And there are a few places on the battlefield that you can run to to restore your magic, but uh-huh. that can be dangerous because the enemy is usually barreling down on you as you're doing that. Mm. So it ends up being very strategic in, I'm going to use one spell here, and now I'm not going to use it because if I miss, that's now one more use that I don't have. Mm. Um, How do you refill your magic? Um, if you don't use all the uses, there are sort of restore points scattered about the map that you can run to and will restore your map. You just stand in the right place you and go it refills? There, you go there, press the button, and it refills. I see. If you use all of the magic, then that's that magic is broken for the rest of the battle, I and see. you have to restore it once the battle is over, assuming huh. you... So at its most basic level, is this like a... Is this like a Monster Hunter risk reward where it's like once you attack or go into an, a, a, a cast a spell, whatever animation, or refill your magic, it takes a certain amount of time and if you're yes. don't get it off before you get hit, yes. then you're okay. There, there are particularly there are types of magic that are much faster. I mean, there's magic that's rapid fire, so right. there's not it's not going to take that much time. But one of the first um, magic, one of the first pieces of magic you get in the game is a magic that turns your right arm into a giant like stone hammer sort of thing. And those swings are just like Monster Hunter swings, where once you've decided to swing, yeah, you're in the end. You're, you're committed. Mm-hmm. So is that is that carried through the game a lot? Like there was, there was all this art of people like reaching into their throat and like pulling out their spine and using it as a sword, and then like you know using their. I haven't, arm, I haven't experienced limbs. that much. Mostly, really? mostly because that really seems to only come into play in multiplayer when okay. you do it to other people, right? But one interesting thing, there was a big thing in the TGS demo, and a big thing they talk about where you can choose to save or sacrifice. Right. Um, both the main monsters as well as the smaller monsters. And I never or really. Or your party members. Or well, your like party you members. I guess you haven't got there yet, but yeah. Um, actually, you do have an NPC party member in your first few. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you about that. You yeah, do. You do. And she's pretty good. Like, uh, I didn't have no problems with her, your AI. And the funny thing is, if you die, this actually did happen to me, she will sacrifice you and get one of those super abilities. Wait, but once, you're, once you die and you get sacrificed by her, is the game not over? The game is over for you, but you still get to see her taking advantage of you. <laughs> really? So you wow. just watch you killing just... the um killing the monster. So she could have saved you, but she sacrifices yes. you so that she can take the superpower. Yes. What? The... Wow. And that is that is actually connected to the plot. Oh, okay, good. Well, that's that actually it's, that's... it's pretty cool, actually. Good for them. Is she a cat? 
No, no. she's just a she's a, a woman. She's Wait, your why partner. Do you, why do you why, ask why that? she because it depends. Always puts like you know animal like partners in like their NPC <laughs> like in Monster Hunter too. They're cats, right? I mean, no, she's, she's, that she's weird. just a regular woman who's, her, who's your okay. party member. Odd, <laughs> odd question. But um, <laughs> Seriously, yeah. but one of the things that you can do, and this wasn't at all clear in the GS demo, is after you defeat a monster, be it one of the the primary targets or one of the or just one of the minor monsters running around, you get a choice to sacrifice or. Um, save and there's actually what happens is if you sacrifice them your attack power goes up okay and if you save them your defense power goes up oh all right um and so saving them is not is it actually really saving them in the story like are you sacrificing them you with the really small monsters with the small monsters it doesn't really affect the plot yeah Though you do actually see if the sacrifice ones, they disappear if the, if you do save them, you actually see the restored form of whatever the monster used to be. So there's, there's this minor monster you fight at the very beginning. It turns out to be sort of a magically altered rat. And if you save them, okay. you will see a bunch of rats scattering away, meaning you actually did save them. Okay. But it is plot based when you're fighting the formerly human enemies, like Cerberus from the demo, from the demo. But how so? I mean, can you not just go back and fight him as many times as you want, or can you only do it once? And like, let's say you fight him once and you sacrifice him. Is that it? Or can you fight him again as often as you want? You can fight him again as often as you want. And then if you were to afterward decide that I want, I'm not actually sure what happens in that case, because I haven't gone back and fought, refought things, but... The the one human enemy that I've fought so far, I I decided to save just because I'm a, I'm a nice guy. But the, but then the, the cutscene or the story or something is different because you save them instead of sacrifice. Yes, when okay. what happens after is there's no cutscene. Is you're pulled back into the book and new pages are filled in explaining what happened mm. next. It's actually a kind of a cool system, and the book itself is filled with a lot of details on the monsters you're fighting and the history of the world. Mm-hmm. So they actually have some actually impressive writing describing these sort of legends explaining... You're talking about the Japanese the, In the Japanese, Japanese version, yeah. yeah. In, like, they explain how the Cerberus became the Cerberus, with this, what this guy happened to him that made him go insane and have three heads. Huh. And they go into this long, really detailed... They, they seem like Greek myths, almost. And okay. some of them are directly... Um, are re- reminiscent of Greek myths, so they're never actually the same. Wait, and wait a I, minute. In that first video, remember when they first, first showed Inafune on the Sega, like, Vita thing? They didn't even say what game he's working on. Wasn't there, like, a big book on the counter? And, like, we were all making fun of it because, like, all they showed was a book. Oh, I wasn't that here That must that be happened. what that was, this was. That was probably... Cause we, the entire- we were joking, like, it's a game about the Bible or something because there's just, like, a big, <laughs> fat book on the counter and they didn't say anything else. He's working on a game and you're going to love it or whatever the very first time. That right. must be what and the book that was. That is 99% of the game is you flipping through pages in the book. Let me ask you, is the AI helping, actively helping you as well as she healing you or doing, like... Uh, I mean, besides, obviously, attacking, I would hope, the monsters as well. You... Are there any, like... I don't know, co-op, like, there are interactions and things There like are that. ways to heal groups and stuff, and I know this not from this demo, but from the TGS demo. Right. There were definitely, um, you could do um, areas, area effect heal spells and stuff like that. The AI character you have at the beginning, you don't have any healing abilities yet, and neither does she. She has the okay. same abilities you do, so she wouldn't be able to even if she were programmed to. Okay, and she's part of the whole story and oh, yeah. stuff too. She, most of the the beginning sections are talk about your relationship with this character mm. and what eventually happens, which what? I won't go into because it's spoiler. Sure, let's not spoil it. But what's your sense of the game? I mean, I know you weren't you were always kind of like on the soul sacrifice side while like me and Jason were on the Monster side. Hunter side. So like it, but but just what's your sense of the game's like repetitive? Like are you worried that it's going to get repetitive? Like I'm basically worried that it's going to be repetitive just from my playing the TGS demo. It the was one very repetitive. Arena in the demo. 
concerns me a little bit that everything takes place that a level right. takes place in one kind that's of that's my the concern that I'm getting as I play through is it does feel tight and it feels like things are done too quickly. And that's maybe because after playing Monster Hunter you feel like mm. there should be more of an expansive feel to the areas. But as far as your concern, all of the enemies seem to have radically different attack patterns. Um mm. you need to equip the right spells and the right items. If you're if you don't have the right spells and the right items equipped, you will die. But you spend a lot of time fighting them though. That in that sense it's kind of similar to Monster Hunter, I feel like that you fight the bosses for a long time, right? Which like I don't want that I, I just felt I felt like it was kind of formulaic and repetitive in the TGS demo, so I was hoping that like in the real game you're gonna get more variety, even just fighting the one guy. Like never mind the monster being different from each other. Right. That one monster, I want him to have, like, 50 different attack patterns, and, like, I want him to be unpredictable, but right. he's super predictable at TGS. Like, how do you feel about that so far? So far, the the monsters I've fought, I wouldn't call them super unpredictable. Most of mm. them have, most of them do have attack patterns that you'll figure out relatively quickly, though... Granted, these are the first... These are, these sure. are tutorial. These are yeah, basically yeah. tutorial battles. Yeah. So. yeah. And, but I should say, even though they're tutorial batters, battles, they weren't easy. Especially there's one, you're fighting a flying enemy, and you, to get the timing to actually hit it as it's fly, as it's swooping down on you was very hard. And I lost the first couple times before I finally was able to time it so that as it was dive-bombing me, I hit it to knock it down. Right. Is there enough of a variety of like magics that you can select at the beginning of the game that there might be something that's actually suited for like a flying enemy or something, or...? Yes and no, but the, the funny thing about the flying enemy is there is a, you have a long-range attack spell, which everyone is going to assume is the one you should use, but that one actually hurts your health as you use it, mm -hmm. so that's actually a red herring. You should not use mm -hmm. that spell, which is something... There's a lot of cases where all the spells have these downsides where right. use this spell, it slows you down. Use this spell, it it's will the take away. This mm. is the sacrifice. It's the sacrifice. The and, that, and I thought that was actually pretty cool. It was it was cool to realize, oh, wait, this spell is a trick. Right. I should not use this spell, even though it's the one you most obviously use for a flying enemy. So, so but there's no there's no classes or there's no main weapon that you're choosing. No, okay. It's every time you a monster, you gain new items and new spells. So there is a lot of loot to to things. Loot in loot in the sense that it's stuff you can use. Yeah, but it's it's not loot in the sense of like you're customizing or anything like that. What you can do is if you get two of the same spell, you can combine those two spells together and it increases your number <laughs> of uses. It doesn't actually like improve the spell in any way. It okay. just, so instead of four uses per battle, you now have eight or something like that. It sounds only superficially similar to Monster Hunter. The more I hear about it, it sounds like like on a, if you just look at it on the outside and you really have no idea of what it's about, you might think Monster Hunter clone or something. But it's it sounds kind of different to me. I don't know. It's not about like it's not a loot based thing though. It's not about like getting all the stuff that you. All the not in the way drops that not not in the way that, that you kill not in the way that Monster Hunter is because yeah. the loot that you get in this game are your attack methods. It's not like Monster Hunter where you collect you know right a, a leg Mushrooms from and, crap and, and then something to make something. Whatever you're getting is di something directly useful. I see. Hmm. What about so graphically? Finally, like audiovisual wise, aesthetically, it's. Uh, actually seeing it on the screen again, it's not that impressive. It doesn't look bad, not by any means, right. but it doesn't look, I wouldn't say it, it looks 
even I wouldn't even say it looks better than Monster Hunter 3G. I would say it looks the same, maybe really? a, maybe a little better, maybe a little better, but Ooh. not in not enough to guard your email box. You're gonna get some <laughs> shit for that one, <laughs> probably. But I don't think it looks that much better. It's uh, th- there's some nice graphics. The sky is cool because there are these strange. Uh, they look like almost Arabic letters that float in the sky in this sort of twisted world of theirs. Oh yeah, there's a lot of that in the game in general, right? Like just sort of the writing that like kind of floats the writing around sort the of floats around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's everything is taking place in a book. It sort of mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make sense actually. Yeah. But uh, as far as like graphically, it's not that much better than Monster Hunter 3G. But the the monster the monster design I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I it's twisted, it's creepy, it's weird, and it's. They're, it's fun to encounter a new monster and be like, whoa, right. who the hell thought that thing? <laughs> in kind of a creepy Hellraiser it, it, fucked up kind of yes. way. Yeah, right. Okay. And cool. w- then when you go back and read their backstories and how this human being turned into that monster, it tends to be even more fucked up. And that's like, always what it is. It's like somebody, some person. It's some, some person thing. who was given, basically given a wish uh. and... Thanks. To, they talk about how they see a white chalice that, and a voice asking them, "What do you want?" Mm-hmm. And when they make their wish, John's refilling his white yes. chalice as we speak. <laughs> when they make their wish, usually shit happens that uh, is not very good. <laughs> interesting. All right. Well, cool. We will uh, play that. Let's play yeah. it, Mark. We need to play okay. a multiplayer too. I'm going to play we it will. over the break. Over the sure. break. Did you add that to the list of over the break? Uh, actually, no, I didn't. I <laughs> will add it. I have a long list of over the break games. Yeah. yeah. We'll that talk about that that stuff later. Um, but um, cool. Before that, other stuff people have been playing. It's really not much worth talking about. Probably. Probably not. I've been um, playing Persona Four yeah. on Vita, the getting really Zagolden. into it. Golden. Finally. Yeah, Persona 4 Golden, which still has the golden, like, you know, like, intro screens and, like, FMV and stuff. Like, they only took the word the out. Anyway, we're a localization (laughs) company. We look at these things. Uh, There's not much to say. I really like it. I knew I really liked it already. I played the PS2 version only for a couple hours, so it's nice to have it on Vita and finally be able to, like, dig into it. And it's just starting to open up. I'm, like, four or five hours in, and I've got to the point now where, like, you actually manage your own time and everything. But um, I'm really digging it. Cool. And uh, Hiroko, you Mm. have been playing... Nothing. <laughs> what? You bought a Wii U. You I did, did buy a Wii U. Sitting over it's by your still, desk. Are you, when are you going to take that home? I don't know. When I have time. <laughs> Why don't you take it? Are you going to play it over the break? I don't know. I, I have a different project that I'm going to be working on over the break. Oh, you do? Uh, mm-hmm. What's that? <laughs> I'm going to try to make a game. Really? Yeah. With? With Unity. <laughs> yeah, well, I have no idea, no game concept or anything in mind, but I was thinking of... Or any game-making experience, right? Yeah, zero. But, um, so, well, yeah, um, Unity, well, I was thinking that it'd be cool if, like, somebody like me, yeah, with no experience, no knowledge, um making something from scratch with a program. So. And we should say we're, we're doing some stuff with Unity yeah. Japan. Exactly, and that's why, you know, I yeah. got um, interested in that. So, we, work so experience. you have to have some inkling, some idea, some kind of something like, oh, <laughs> you know, it'd be cool if I, like, I want a game like Pikmin. I was going to say like you're not this. allowed to make Pikmin. That's a property that's owned by Nintendo, <laughs> just so you know. Too bad. Um, genre no. or anything like a uh, puzzle game? Nope. No? <laughs> nope. 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 You should, not come at o- all. you should come over here and sit next to Greg. Like his sweat <laughs> on you, like a drop of sweat will probably give you like. That's true. I know. Yeah. And, like, yeah. His soul sacrifice. Yeah. His soul sacrifice will, will be your. Seriously. Yeah. But well, yeah, I was thinking maybe, well, 
I don't know, something like a the boob easy game. Like wait, wait, sh- wait, 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 come on, yeah. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like an easy puzzle game or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, no specific ideas. Maybe the listeners should uh, tweet you. Yes, yeah, they should their... give me ideas. Yes, that's uh-huh. an awesome idea. So yeah, they should do that at yeah. Rokoi Four. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but what about what about the blobs? Rise of the Blobs. Oh, that's right. Yes. yes I, it's been a I little almost, while. You were playing it like a, a week or two ago, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, we, which we're doing. We did the Japanese mm-hmm. vocalization for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but you got legit hooked on it. Yeah, I got hooked on it. It's a simple game. but um, So it's kind of like um, 10,000. Oh, 10,000? 1 million? 10 million. 10 million? Is that what it was? <laughs> 10 million, yeah. How is it like a lot of zeros. It has a number for me. It's 10 million, yeah. How yeah. is it like 10 million? So, well, it's a simple puzzle game, but um, it has a lot of um, goals and stuff. So every, oh, every time right. You play that part it, is like 10 million. Yeah, it okay. gives you like an achievement to achieve. And so that kind of gets you hooked to the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a list of three things that it's like you want to try to achieve as you play. And mm-hmm. as you unlock those, it unlocks more things in the game. Yeah. What's the, if you had to compare it to like a puzzle game mechanic, mm-hmm. is it like Tetris, like Puyo Puyo, like... I guess Puyo, Puyo, but more like it's super simple. Like mm. you, all you need to do is match. Um, so um, there's fruits falling, okay. and all you need to do is match four fruits, and then what was it? Three. There's fruit falling, and you match it with yeah, three, three, three or more blobs of the same color as the fruit. So like the orange fruit, you match to the orange blobs, and that will make the the, the fruit gets absorbed by the blobs, and then the fruit. So there's the blobs, blobs and fruit. Yes. In columns. Yeah. Yes. Okay. First so game we'll basically, that has both like, you, you just match the same <laughs> colors for, like, with three three same colors, and mm-hmm. then they will disappear. Okay. Or, or like, yeah. It's a super simple puzzle game. You gotcha. spin, but the th- one thing that's interesting about it is, it's, so it's on the touchscreen, it's on uh-huh. iOS and Android, and you are, it's like a, what was that game? Was it Tetrisphere or... One of those games where like you spin the playfield around, so it's not just a flat playfield in front of you. You're actually oh. spinning a, a, right, a, right. a, you know, a, a sphere, spherical, not spherical, but like a, like a three tube, dimensions. Basically. And then yeah, and the and the blobs are surrounding the tube on all sides, so you're you know you have kind of a large playfield to mess with. Okay. And to be aware, you have to be careful because the the blobs are rising. That's why the game's called Rise of the Blobs. Rise of the Blobs. And, um, <laughs> you know, if they get to the top, then you know you you lose. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And this is not out yet, actually. I think it's out in January. That's right. It will be out in January. We've been playing it because we localized it for Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and who brought it out? Uh, who's bringing it out? Uh, Robot in Theater. I was like, I don't, what are you looking at me for? Um, <laughs> saying what the Japanese name is? I don't think so, not yet, because oh, it's not. It's, it's not so hundred. It's not hundred percent. It's a good yet. name. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. People will really like it. Once Even in America, I think people will like the name. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Once it's Mm-mm. official, we can say it. But I don't yeah. think we're allowed yet because it's not 100%. Right. Yet. I came mm-hmm. up with the name. I came up with the name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll settle that later. Um, but, okay, cool. Well, uh, why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we will delve into Moby Games. And <laughs> one oh Mr. Greg Tavares. Um, and, yes, worked on... Centipede, Mario Brothers, worked on everything, man. Terminator, Robocop vs. Terminator, Gex, That's Crash right. Team Racing, Loco Roco, everything. So uh, anyway, uh, stick around and we'll be right back.
All right, we are back and now into our in-depth focus segment. Focus. <laughs> There's no Tony to make a focus. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, Tony, do the focus interview theme song. Do, 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 do. Focus. <laughs> pretty good. That was pretty bad. good. Bad for a first time. Not bad at all. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. All right, so Greg, I guess um, mainly if you were one was to describe you, it would be programmer. Yes. Okay. That's been your your forte. So let's talk about the start. You got started super super young. Yeah, about uh, eighth grade, I think. My one of my best friends introduced me to programming. How, how? basic? Huh. He he had something he typed out. You know, this is back when like nobody actually had computers at home yet. So right. He had typed it out and he was showing it to go me. go to 10. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. But Print. it was like, it was like some Star Trek thing. Like it had a bunch of questions like, what do you want to do? And I don't even remember what it did because it fit on one page. So it couldn't have been that long. But I was pretty fascinated by it. And yeah, so then, you know, being a geek, we started going to like, at the time, you know, none of us had a computer. So you could basically go to some computer store and hang out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, there was a point where we used to go to this place. I, I lived in uh, near Disneyland, and we went to this place in Brea, which is a long way away. We take the bus all the way there, and how long? Like how far? Like an hour, hour and a half. Oh. I mean, it's it's a yeah. long drive. And but they had Ataris, and I was into Atari, mm -hmm. and uh, they had an Apple as well. And I had a friend who was into Apple, and he would pirate everything. Yeah. And so <laughs> I would copy everything from him. I'd give it to the to the guys that worked at the store. They would sit there for hours, just copy everything I gave them, and then I would go work on the Atari for the next few hours. Wait, so so uh, this was what what Atari Apple two? Yeah, straight Apple two, Apple two, Atari eight hundred, maybe Atari eight hundred, and Atari eight hundred. Yes. So so you were going there, bringing five and a quarter floppies. Correct. They were mm -hmm. taking it, putting it in, f -f 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 yeah. all that shit was copying over. And while that was going on, you would go over and futz around on the, on the Atari. Atari. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so what were you <laughs> doing or playing on that Atari at that I time? I have no idea or what I don't <laughs> even remember, but it only actually only went a few times. And then like one day my dad called me. And uh, called the store, right? We didn't have cell phones yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, got me on the phone, and, and I guess he negotiated with the people, and he bought me a computer, an Atari Whoa. 800. Oh, wow. Um, so he had seen you or knew that you were taking yeah. the bus there and yeah. thought, okay. So he did that, yeah. So it was like, you know, I think the thing had 60, they, they, came, they shipped with 16K of 16K RAM. 16K of RAM, And yeah. yes. you could buy, like, chunks <laughs> of 16K more, so he got it to 32, and then... And then I think I saved some allowance for a few months and got up to 48. Holy shit. Right. But yeah. <laughs> was tricked out. Right? It, had a, it had a cassette, right? No, no disc drive yet. Cause that was like 400 bucks more. Oh shit. Right. Whereas the cassette was only like 60 or $70. So. Right. 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 Yeah. And that's how you got started. And so what were you doing on that thing? So you get it, you get it at home. This wasn't your birthday or Christmas or whatever. He just got it for you. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you started making stuff, right? You could buy commercial games, but when you're in high school, you don't have the money. So, mm -hmm. um, there was a, a magazine out called Soft Disk. Yes. Which just had listings of programs you would type in. Yep. Right. So we mm -hmm. would type them in and you kind of learn as you type them. Like, especially right. like you get it all done and it doesn't work and you have you to gotta find go back out and find the one thing you is. Yeah. I remember uh. that. And so, and then you would start changing them. Like we wrote something that would make fonts, which kind of probably sounds ridiculous, but when you're like a geek and you're into sci-fi and stuff, you want it to look more, different than the normal ones mm -hmm. right and so then we started figuring out oh we could actually load like the games into this editor and you could actually see some of the graphics and so we start editing them oh no so sure. like you know i mean being high school students like there was a game called rescue at rigel by epics i think or, yep 
And like we changed the main character into a toilet, you know, like <laughs> and changed all the 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 dialogue into ridiculous toilet humor. Right. And oh, wow. uh, there was a game called Star Raiders that's like yes. a space game. Yeah, yeah. Changed, like you know, changed the ships and happy faces and. Back <laughs> when space game was a legit genre, right? It was like there was an old television. Uh, uh, commercial with George Plimpton where he's like, the space, space games, games on television are so much better looking. We have the totally. best space games. And they have like <laughs> 10 games, like Space Hawk, Space Spartan, Space oh, yeah, This, course, Space dude. That. Astro Smash, all that good stuff. So what what uh, other other games and stuff you were playing, looking at in this era? Um, you mentioned a couple already, but... Um, well, there was also like, um, Atari started this thing for indie games, you know, imagine back in the day. Did they? Yes. So there was the, the big companies that were that were publishing their own stuff, but yeah. Atari had their own publishing thing. I don't remember what it was called, but I remember like they had an award called the Atari Star, which was the mm. the award they gave for that year's best game. By the, what judgment? I don't know. From any, mm. yeah. from any dev. And uh, and the company that won named themselves First Star Software, and they're the company that made Boulder Dash, the original Boulder Dash. Oh wow! Oh, shit. But their first game, which I don't remember what it was, was on the Atari system as uh, on their on their indie system. Wow. wow! So there's a game out that came out. I think the first game that shipped on there, or maybe the first hit game, was called Caverns of Mars. Mm-hmm. Which now Jeff, I think Jeff Minter, his company has that the iOS game. Um, totally blanking what it's called, but that that's a big says, Winter fan. See that everybody he's says here. is a clone of that game. It's not oh, really no a clone. Shit. Yeah, it's called Minos, and uh, and it looks very much like Caverns of Mars. Right, uh, right. A little bit more insane being a Jeff Ninja game. But right, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's more llamas. Psychedelic. 100% more llamas, and yeah, I'm sure exactly. and sheep and other farm animals. Um, so, okay, so what – I'm just trying to place the years about what we're talking about. So when you're in high school and you're cutting your teeth on these kind of um, games and reprogramming mm-hmm. stuff and stuff like that, like so that's like 79, 80, 81. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, like, Atari 2600 is kind of gaining. I mean, 2600, yeah, that was a little bit earlier, right? Right. Yeah, so this is maybe when it started. I don't remember when it actually crashed. It crashed 83. in 83. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 5200 or 7800 <laughs> right. era, I guess. So, so you're chugging along, messing around with stuff in, in high school and things like that. You, ke- you keep saying we, so this is you. And well, me and my friend. high school buddies, we're all geeks yeah. and we were all kind of doing it together. Gotcha. Um, doing different things, but mm-hmm. yeah, we worked on all that stuff together. It was really, it was pretty fun. We actually wrote a game in high school that was basically, I guess the Apple version was called Snake Bite, but you've probably seen the games where you basically have the snake and you eat a fruit and your snake gets a little longer. And you yeah, right, 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 yeah, right. yeah, definitely. So we made a multiplayer version. Um, where there was four snake, up to four people could play. Mm-hmm. And you tried to get the other guys to crash, and we had a bunch of options. You could have the infinite wraparound world, or you could have the, the, the walled world where you crash into stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you make it through it to a net level, the next level has some obstacles, so it gets progressively harder. And we got actually, we made this game, we actually got addicted to it, probably because it's a four player game, but. I was gonna say, that's yeah. pretty cool, like, that yeah. it was a four player game, especially. Yeah, well, that was one thing that was cool about the Atari 800, is that it actually had four joystick ports, so you could plug in four. Yeah joysticks and play and this was game. just you programming with your friends yes like locally yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no internet back then so no it was no like <laughs> collaborating over the internet yeah. so i think it was a little yeah it was, it was about the end of the atari age when they started finally having modems like i mean they had them but like they started coming into my circle of right knowledge and, right and yeah it's probably 83 when i started my first modem wow jeez and it was 300 baht of course so, <clears> right. so early prints. yeah god damn yeah. wow but what was it for that system? What, what was I had one for the Atari. Yeah, I, I, my first uh, commercial th- adventure, or whatever you know, commercial product was, 
a contract to do Centipede for the Commodore 64. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the guy who hired me, like, loaned me a 300 baud modem so I could Whoa. upload stuff to him. I don't yeah. remember exactly wow. what music it was. Futuristic. For, yeah. How did that happen? How did you get hooked up your dad? My dad actually saw an ad. He worked at Hughes Aircraft, and there was something on the bulletin board at work. Programmers wanted, and we called, and... And yeah, the guy's like, "Oh yeah, we're doing. We need somebody to convert Centipede from the Atari 800 to the Commodore 64, ASAP." And, and he just gave it to me. Like, there's no qualification. You know, <laughs> wow. like, like, can you actually do this? I think he was just desperate. And was Did like, you have a Commodore 64? No, he gave that to us to do. And so, were you confident just out of the gate? You're like, I can do this. This is no problem. I yeah, I don't know why we just did it. Like I can't yeah. even imagine thinking that I could do it now. Like if somebody was something <laughs> I never heard of before, but yeah, they're they use the same processor, and okay. so I guess they thought it would be easy, and we did get it done. Yeah. So how, how was? I mean, obviously it's your own thing, but I don't know how was it in the end. Like was it? A, would people view it as like how, how did it go down in history? Was it viewed as a competent port, or were people? I, I think it. I mean, given for the time, you know, it's hard to say. I think it did pretty well, though. Really? Um, it was interesting because. Like, I had done some assembly language, like small stuff. I'd never written a whole application in assembly. And, and that game mm-hmm. was in assembly language. It fits on a cartridge. Right. And so you're trying to get it through. They're the same processor. So a lot of the code doesn't have to change. It has to change, like, the basics, get the system up, get the graphics set up, and then it should just work. Right. And the game was, like, 6K. I mean, it really oh, fits in 6K. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing was is that whoever programmed it originally, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but he didn't know how to do math. And when you're trying to do, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say he didn't, it was intentional, and maybe it wasn't even math. math, but it was like, you have to actually compute stuff on, you know, how to draw stuff on the screen. And so there was right. this part where he needed to multiply how far down a thing he wants to draw is by 40, because yeah. that's how long a line is. And so to get to the next line, you add 40. Right. Instead of actually doing the multiplication, he had a loop where he would add 40 each time to c- compute how, you know, where he wanted to draw on the screen. So what happens is the longer, the, the further things get, the further down the screen the centipede gets, yeah. the longer it takes to compute those things. And so the set, game would actually get slower as the centipede goes down the screen. Because <laughs> it's doing the, yeah, it's doing it's the doing computation loop, it's counting, the yeah, that many lines for each piece of the centipede. So we fixed that. Like, I didn't nice. actually know how to do multiplication awesome. in, in binary, but I just worked it out and... And put it in, and then yeah, just you're you're it. a natural. I don't know about that. <laughs> so it sped out. up. It so was actually it didn't speed like... up. It, yeah, they just stayed the constant speed. So right, it didn't slow down. Basically, nice. right, right, yeah. right. Wow, that's awesome. Wow. So in, in porting over the graphics and everything like that, was that just a straight? No, you had job you had to redo or... them because they had different systems. So like, yeah, I think we also. I don't think any of his characters animated. I mean, obviously the centipede goes around the screen, um, but like the fleas that come down or the spider that comes out, they just kind of slid. Right. And so we added, I say we because it was me and my, my best friend in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, John Alvarado, he's actually, uh, heading up the, um, Wasteland 2 remake. At- oh, wow. Oh, shit. Wow. Nice. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So all my friends are, most of my friends are still in games. He has my money. Nice. Oh, that's cool. So you guys actually added animating. Sprites. Yeah. Minor animation for the time. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. So, but, but would you actually, Drawing the stuff? Were you actually yeah, redrawing well, everything? Back, at, back at, yeah, back in those days, there weren't drawing programs. Right. Per se. You like plotted it out in graph paper. Exactly. Then like did the math to figure out like you where know, it should appear. Well, yeah, to figure wow. out like how to add the pixels together to a certain wow. value to get it on the screen, and then write. And I actually have some of those on my Flickr site. Like I found some old notebook with all this stuff in there and scanned them all and put them. Oh, nice. So, so legit awesome. graph paper. You yeah. Know, like okay, here yeah. looking at the spider. Like okay, this looks like this. This looks like this. Yeah. Da, 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 plot. It out. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. 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 
So Centipede, and then that did well. They were happy with what you that did well, in. but it, yeah, I got paid three thousand dollars. Right, <laughs> that was my contract, which at the time <laughs> was probably like that sounds a shitload of money. Well, how, how long did it take? You to yeah, do it, it only it took. It, the, he gave me four weeks. Mm-hmm. I've never done it before, and it took six. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they sold you know probably over a million units. Wow. So you're really getting taken advantage of, right? You don't yeah. know what you're right. doing. It's high school. It's uh-huh. Were you realizing it at that time? I had no idea. Yeah. Right? I was like, $3,000, that's more Fuck. than I made in my entire life. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're a high school student. I can retire on that. Yeah. A week, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I could be mowing lawns for like yeah. Yeah, 10 bucks a lawn yeah. or here's 3000 bucks. Yeah. So wow. it's a shitload of money. So you turn it in six weeks. Are they pissed? That it was no, no, no. Or? They were, they knew that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there was all kinds of crazy things going on like that. Lots of things didn't happen on time. But, right, right, right. So they get it. They're happy with it. They ask you to do more. Uh, not next? directly. Well, so the guy who hired me, um, he had a contract from Atari to do the game, and then he hired me to do it because he's too busy doing other games. Yeah, but they did ask me to do um, to do Mario Brothers, and that yes. one wasn't the port. And uh, so we <laughs> made it. I don't think it actually ever shipped though. So that's oh thing, really right. So we made it very late. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say again, it was me and John Alvarado again, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was we not actually a had a working reset. version. You can play it. Yeah. I think there may be a leaked version. Um, the Ocean actually shipped one eventually. Hmm. I don't know if you hmm. remember the company Ocean. Yeah, yeah. yeah, really. yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I don't know for sure, but it looked like they somehow took our graphics because no they were shit. like really? exactly the same. Wow. Maybe we go compare them, you know, because you're obviously copying something. But right, still, right, right, right. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> John did all the, actually did all the animation for that. So, and, and you know, he was very into that at the time. So. It was very well animated for a Commodore 64 game, for or something like that. What yeah. were you? Po- which version were you porting from? We were port that one. We weren't porting from. We were just looking at the original arcade game. Oh wow! Mario Brothers arcade game and trying to reproduce it. That seems wow. like such a crazy. And it was yeah. our favorite game of the time. So we were like, yeah. yes, you know, we had no oh original sequel. God. We wanted to feel the same. Like yeah. we want to be able to like do the same patterns. And uh-huh. I don't know if we got there, but how, it, how but do you go about like exactly. scanning the game? Did you have the creating? No, no, we didn't. We just play photos, like legit photos. Well, it's not that crazy of a game, right? I mean, you can, you know, we played the game until it looped or whatever. Maybe not loop but right you only Uh play so far and you find out what the levels are and then you know that they repeat right so um and they're very simple levels right there's three there's the bottom level there's the pow in the middle right Uh right but even drawing the graphics and stuff i mean you have no reference that you're just totally working from memory well we didn't have digital cameras so i don't know (laughs) you just look at it i don't know yeah it's not then you get buy a magazine has pictures or something i don't remember to be honest but it's a simple game right so it's not like if you want to go remake pac-man i'm sure you can sketch down the actual maze very simply uh-huh. and then go back and you, know, you have three you know one ghost in four different colors right and uh-huh. pac-man and a couple of the uh, fruits and things and there's not a whole lot to reproduce so so somebody obviously though the, the people who hired you to do this obviously had granted the been granted the license from nintendo presumably to do this but they don't get any kind of i guess back then they didn't get any kind of resources i don't even at think all. they had an idea that you could do that back then <laughs> <Right>? wow <laughs> It's, can you imagine that? Just like getting hired to like, like, like port just something like, and not for it. just look at yeah. it and yeah. figure it out. Don't find Seriously. it in your local arcade. <laughs> I know. They don't even well, give you a copy of it. Yeah. Especially back then. It's a game from Japan. Like, I'm right, really, yeah. whoever negotiated all this stuff, I'm sure there was no way. They sure. Were, oh, no. Totally. Well, there's no lots internet. of great stories there's about that, too. There's not faxes at the time, right? So, like, getting a message to him from Japan was probably like... Yeah, yeah. Send what, using mail. pigeons? Better take it on a boat. On a boat. We'll see it again six months later. Yeah, exactly. You guys have ever seen the documentary about making Tetris? 
Tetris where like, you know, we we're just talking about that today. Yeah. Yeah. Where we're mm-hmm. talking about the d- different ones. Oh, that's not making Tetris. That's Tetris players. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we haven't. We'll check it out sometime. It's by the BBC and it's just amazing. Like how that all went down because, right. you know, the, the communication is instant. So there's just mm-hmm. all this kind of yeah. stuff that happens between the lines when other people aren't talking. Right. And, right. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, wow. so, but, but, so what, what happened with it? Why did it never come out? I don't actually really know what happened. Maybe they were too late and they didn't tell me the details, right? I'm two, two levels removed from right. the people who make those decisions. But you mm-hmm. turn it in, you get paid. Yeah. Okay. And you guys, how much like, did you get paid? That one was 10K. Nice. Wow. Moving up. Moving up. Moving on up. Should be 10K. You <laughs> yes. got to make the game from, from without any <laughs> scars <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, look at it and figure it out. Are you still a student at this time? I was in college at the time, yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. So they this probably is like your like a semester part time, right. like your side job as your right. Well, you split it. you split it with your friend, right? I don't remember the details of well, <laughs> how we split it. Hopefully, I did. <laughs> Come back on and, and tell me. I didn't, I didn't. Right. All right. So what's next? So that's 1984 that we're in, ish. right? Ish. And then uh, and then in 85 leaps and bounds. 85, yeah. So from school, I was at Brigham Young. I used to be a Mormon. And uh, atheist now, just by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, did they frown them. upon at all your like no, uh, video all. games? Oh, okay. I don't think anybody knew what they were at the time, right? <laughs> um, and it wasn't anything like you know Call of Duty where you're blowing people's heads off. Yet, right. right, right. Not that that matters. I love that stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're just chasing some dots around and eating them. Right. Other than being a maze games. Doing drugs. Maze games. Were games were dots. Yes. There were space games and maze games yeah. at that time. Yeah. So yeah, I met a girl at college and ran away with her to the East Coast. She was from the East Coast. And we ended up in Baltimore. Mm. And the person who we're renting the apartment from knew somebody was looking for a programmer. Oh and my it God. turned out to be Muse is... Software. Wow. See, you see, th- this is the Forrest Gump stuff that I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. Use software. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they saw that I had done Centipede and, yeah. and stuff. They're like, yeah, here, have a job, right? Um, wow. So yeah, that was working on this game called Leaps and Bounds, which I don't even know if they shipped because the company went under like three I've months. I've never heard of that game. I don't think. What type of? But game? it's a, it was an educational game. It came up with this ah. picture of a house. There's like one room that's A B C, one room that's one two three, mm. one room that's like a pencil or something like that for drawing, and the other room that's like a music, you know, musical staff for music. You click on them. And it actually had a little pointer with a hand, and uh, and then it would take you to one of those things. So like the the ABC one, like you'd either click on a letter or press one on the keyboard, and it would put up like a drawing of something about that letter. Right. And if you press it again, it would put it would put up a little bit more to the drawing. If you press it a third time, then it would actually do some animation with a little song or something. Oh wow! But this is back when like you know there were no artists, so like all that all that <laughs> art is programmer art. It's either mine or other guys. <laughs> I want yeah. to see that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, my art skills are a tiny bit better than his, but, you know. <laughs> right. They're pretty bad, pretty bad art. I'm trying to remember, what are the Muse software Muse did Castle Wolfenstein. I, that's, that's what you I was going to yes. say Castle Wolfenstein. Yes. That's their most famous game. Okay, okay. That's exactly what yeah. I know them. So Silas okay. Warner, who was also the co-programmer on Leaps and Bounds, was the original programmer for for Castle Wolfenstein. Wow. Oh, shit. And okay. uh, why well, was there the guy that sat next to me, Eric Ace? He was working on Beyond Castle Wolfenstein. Yes. For the, uh, for the IBM PC Junior. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Of course I remember that. His name was Ace? Mm-hmm. Yes. Eric Is really? Yes. Wow. Cool. Beyond Badass. Castle Wolfenstein. All right. Okay. So then that you finish up. Yeah. I, sure the, I was there out. for about seven months. And yeah, right after, like about a week after it finished. Like, okay. Sayonara, they laid off half the company. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then about three months after that, they laid off the rest. 
Oh, wow. wow. And yeah, then I ended up at, uh, at Microprose and partly because nice. some of the guys had gone there, like Silas went there. Yeah. I don't remember who else went there, but they were also in, in the Baltimore area. Mm-hmm. They're north of Baltimore, about That's a half right. an hour. And so, yeah, I don't remember how, what led to it, but yeah, I ended up at Microprose. And Microprose, uh, for people who don't know or whatever at the time, were big into, ended up big into, uh, like flight simulator Sims, games, yeah. um, mostly that kind of thing. Um, uh, military games, games yeah. submarine. The top games of the time were F-15 Strike Eagle, yes. which sold several yeah. million copies. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gunship, which is one I worked on, which is a Apache helicopter simulator. There was uh, Silent Service, which yes. is their, um, oh, yeah. submarine, right? their submarine game. Yeah. And then Pirates, which, right, they're still shipping Pirates games even today. So <laughs> Dude, that was a great, great fucking game at the time. That game was amazing. So so what, what while you were there, uh, and you were there working on Conflict, Vietnam? Well, so Conflict of Vietnam was really just like getting the title screen up. I didn't really do anything. Ah, ah, okay. <laughs> Although, uh, yeah, there were some special tech techniques there to get the actual effect they wanted because back then, you know, it was hard to do that stuff. Wait, what was the effect? That they... they just wanted the text to scroll over the background, which, you know, and it, sounds so simple. <laughs> it sounds so simple. But when you're on, it was like two months. It was like, fuck, all right. Well, I don't know if it was going to say two months, but right. yeah, given the speed of those systems, yeah. I and mean, you actually have to redraw all this text. Two things at once. What? Yeah, it was very, yeah. Wow. Like, like I finished it, and, and Sid Meier's like, oh, I got to go back and relearn the semi language. No, yeah. she said that. Yeah. So you're That's doing awesome. stuff with Sid Meier. Yeah. Mm. I was gonna say who's Sid Mead. I was gonna say Sid Mead, but I knew I knew Sid Mead is a designer, is a like a concept artist who does stuff for like uh, Blade Runner. Oh, okay, Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because Sid Meier was all over Microsoft, Microprose, like ads and stuff back in the day. Yeah. So how was what was that like at that time? That company? It was awesome. I mean, the companies were small. I think there were maybe thirty people there. And one of the coolest things about Microprose compared to say like a few years later worked at Virgin and uh, Virgin Games and. The difference is like the president of Microprose, Wild Bill Steely. He actually, remember, he was in the ads too. He actually took cowboy pride hat. in the game. So like, yeah. he, he'd stay out of it. He was in the business side, but at the end, toward, you know, say a month, two months before it's shipping, he would start taking the game home and playing it. And if mm-hmm. it wasn't fun to him, it wasn't shipping. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is different than like a lot of companies where they're just run by business people and right. they really yeah. don't care. Right. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that was something I really liked. I mean, some people would be annoyed like, oh my God, like he hasn't been on the game the whole time and now he is giving like game design advice. But, right. Right. But that's compared sort of the to the guys who don't care, the it was yeah. much better. Was he ex military or anything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of got that kind of feeling yeah. out of those things. <laughs> so I mean, because these guys were like, the rock star, literally rock stars of the game industry, like the rock star games guys. I mean, they, they were like some of the biggest things going. Yeah, at they, were, that they time. were big at the time. That was like and really still huge. Big, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So, and then did, were you involved in anything else while you were there? Those games, um, that's basically it. The last thing I think I worked on was, uh, um, The Hunt for Red October. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. yeah, and, yeah. And I mostly, for the, for that in Pirates, I did the animation system. So I'm not really responsible for making them fun. Just trying to make it so the artists could like make them prettier. Okay, cool. doing tool kind yeah. of stuff. I bought more extra RAM for my Apple II okay. GS so that I could play Hunt for, for Red October. <laughs> Although I I don't know if I ever got it like working properly. Um. So wait, Gunship for the Commodore sixty four Amiga Atari ST. Yeah, that, all those. Cool. That's what you were doing at the time. Um. Then we. Uh, so and then what's next here? So then, like, you know, I was on the East Coast. I had broken up with my girlfriend by that time. Oh. All my friends are back on the West Coast. So I mm-hmm. went back and... Uh, you went back West. Went you back went back west. to Cali. Went back West. 
Alley. Yeah, I did some contract stuff, and then I ended up getting a job at Cinemaware. Yes. Yeah. Which, Which at the time I don't think was anybody super knows. hot shit. What are yeah. you talking about? Of course. Do they? Yes. Okay. Of course. Uh, like, so there were two games from Cinemaware. Defender of the Crown right. was their big one, right? Yeah. And then didn't they have a like a uh, Asian theme kind of ninja samurai? Kind they of had Lord of the Lord of the Rising Sun. Lord of the Rising. I don't know Sun. if that was one of the bigger titles though. Okay. But they're mostly famous for taking the I well, this is my impression, taking games out of. Pac-Man style, very abstract, very simple art into yeah. very realistic art. They looked amazing. Yeah. Like the, the the graphics, they looked basically too good to be true. And was maybe this, like, they kind of were. Or something back then. I don't. Well, they started know. on the Amiga, so it was a little bit actually better than EGA because okay. you could pick the colors. So okay. Pick, you know, <laughs> you could pick your yeah. thirty-two or right. whatever, right. sixty-four <laughs> colors. They, they backported to EGA, but um, mm. but I I just remember because I like I said I had an Apple II GS at the time. Right. And, uh, like some of their games came out there later and just looking at the screenshots was like, I don't know, how is this possible? Right. Like these games look so much better than anyone else. There must be some shitty aspect to them. It's really yeah. hard to look back at them and see the difference because nowadays, like you can just take a picture of a digital camera, throw it in Photoshop, right. press right. a couple buttons and bam, you've got something pretty beautiful on the screen. But mm-hmm. back then we didn't have that. So where, where were they based out of? They were in Westlake, California, which okay. is like, uh, west of LA. Okay. So outside of LA. Yeah. Basically. <clears throat> All right. So, and then what, what did you go there to work on? Or I worked on the Lords of the Rising Sun. Oh, okay. And, so. uh, it was interesting. They were under crunch because I guess it was late. And so, like, the lead program was like, Hey, let's work at night. <laughs> so we don't get distracted. <laughs> so it was like, Are you yeah. serious? So and we not like during the day. 10, yeah. We looked like eight or I, I don't remember when we started, 8, 8, 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. and then worked till morning. You wow. started oh at yeah. 8 p.m.? Yeah. Wow. So that we wouldn't get bugged. What yeah. the fuck? I actually saw the it snow company? in Westlake once. Like, it snowed, like, at 4 in the morning and it was melted by, like, 4.20. Yeah. In like, Los it doesn't snow in L.A., right? It's snowing in Los Angeles, uh-huh. yeah. What the wow. fuck? When it was everybody like, okay, when he's like, I don't think I, I didn't even question it. I'm yeah. just like, whatever. That's what he wants to do. Fine. You're like 20 something. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Sounds fun. It's different. What the fuck? That's crazy. Didn't, did you not start going weird or anything? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. How long was that going on for? For like a number of months? Or? A few months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty hard. What hardcore. were you doing on that project? What was your job? Um, just, to, it was, so the game is like, there are all these mini games that are glued together on this map. Uh-huh. Huh. And so there was like a battle level that I remember doing, um, where you have, you know, it represents, I don't remember, there's a limit to how many guys you could put on the screen before it got too slow. So yeah. then it just like gives, so if you have too many guys, it'll just like shrink the other guy's number of men on, on the screen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so that proportionally that. they're the same size, they're, you know, that proportionally the armies are the right size. Yeah. And then you, the controls are very simple. You click somewhere and you click somewhere with the left button and the guy, your guys run, the guys who are closest will get kind of like magnetized toward that area. And if you right click, then it'll repel them. So if you click kind of on the left side of your troops, You'll, you'll kind of get the left guys moving. You click on the right side of your troops, those guys will start moving and you try to, yeah. Basically hurting your troops, so to speak. Yeah, hurting your troops to get them to kill the other guys. It it brings up an interesting thing. And like, I'd like to talk about this a little bit. Like, there were limitations back then. Yeah. In so many different ways of stuff that you don't really probably even think about anymore. Like, I was watching a video just yesterday of uh, Berserk, you know, the old arcade game. And basically, it was there was only so many channels of audio. Right. So, there, you know, you were shooting, and something was saying something, and you were running around, but it would choose one or the other, and it was just like 
that's it. You're not going to hear the other things that were right. going on. Flickr was something that, you know, even through the SNES that you had to deal with, which is like, okay, if you're going to show this many things, you're just not going to be able right. to show these right. other things. Obviously, slowdown and stuff people still have to deal with. But, um, but like, what were some of the, I'm curious, like, some of the limitations, like, some of the things you had to, you know, use tricks to kind of work around. Memory was probably, I'm guessing, like, a huge... Right. Well, memory, yeah, it was definitely getting better on those systems like the Amiga. But still... If you have large graphics, you'd run out very quickly. So that was an example where Cinemaware was doing something nobody else was doing by having these really large graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, large graphics meaning like sprites or meaning being like sprites, like, but they were like you know nearly the size of the screen. You right, know, some right. guy that comes on and looks realistic, not a stick figure like yeah. Karataka or you know one of those mm-hmm. kind of games or mm-hmm. like Load Runner. Right. Um, so that what took a lot of memory and and another thing is just getting a lot of motion on the screen. Something that mm-hmm. a system like uh, the SNES has it has this character-based system. So if you want to do something like Zelda and you want the uh, water to um, shimmer or have little waves, mm-hmm. that's actually something that's very easy to do because of the way that hardware is designed. It's almost like free. Mm-hmm. You just have the animator do it and it just happens. It doesn't take any time. Whereas if you have a system that's pixel-based, like modern systems, you actually have to redraw every pixel on the screen every frame. And the more pixels you draw, the slower it gets. So mm-hmm. those kind of things get harder. And so back on the Amiga days, they had these things called sprite or um, palette animation mm. where you could actually cycle, change the colors of, you had your 32 colors that you could pick or 16 depending on the system, but you could change what they were every time. So you'd make say three colors of blue and make them, make them um, cycle blue, light blue, lighter blue. Right. And, and change those. And then everything was on blue on the screen, but then do that. And you would make animations that oh man kept stuff on the screen, making looking busy. Cause if, right. you, if it's all right. still, it's just not interesting. Right, right, right. You can go on the net and you can probably look for palette cycling on Wikipedia. It'll show you some examples of That's what that awesome. kind of stuff did. But those are some things that, that happened. Oh, Actually, one of those cool. things, those little kind of limitations, not necessarily limitations on an Amiga system, but limitations on, on older consoles like NES and SNES are really where like Japanese developers totally excel. Totally. Yeah. And Western developers like really didn't excel because they're like, you know, I don't know if it comes from anime or what, but like if you watch Japanese anime, you'll notice like they're telling the story with the least amount of yep. animation possible. And you like, don't even you know, notice it until right. you don't start notice it because they're it. so yeah. good at it, right? Yep. They right. focus on like a ripple in the water, then they'll pan over to the moon. And you don't see that nothing yeah. else is moving on screen. Right. And all that's <laughs> animating is like maybe like the little like, you know, like the watery part of somebody's eyeballs, but right. like nothing exactly. else about them is moving. So all those but techniques it looks like it's animated. Yeah. All those techniques are if you go back and play a lot of NES games and you see the cutscenes, they use all those techniques, yeah. which is perfect for a system that has like very little memory and can't do a lot of Ninja full Ninja screen Ninja. animation. Right. Um but that's yeah, slowly disappeared now that you're on systems like uh, you know, three sixty or PS three right. PCs, you can just basically do anything. Right. And so it's got that tide has kinda of turned in some ways where you just give your art department enough money and they'll mm. make, you know, the next right. Lord of the Rings movie and stick it in your game, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's been said a thousand times before, but it, it is, you know, I do kind of miss the days where there was the limitations because it kind of forced people to be really creative with the stuff they made. Right. You see some really awesome stuff. When you have no limitations, it's hard to try you know like you right. can do anything so absolutely like, you... yeah yeah being yeah it forces you to be you know creative within a confined space yeah um so while you were there at cinemaware well actually maybe a little before that um probably while you were uh, at microprose the nes had come out and i guess kind of revitalized the console market right. um were you into console games still i mean you were mostly working at pc developers but 
Yeah, well, at the time I was doing, you know, PC type, whatever you want to call PC at the time, since there were so many options. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, console didn't really come out until a little bit later. PC compatible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Commodore, Amiga, ST, GS, all those different things. But So were you noticing? Like, when NES came out, were you like, oh, what the, is this piece of shit? Like, no, no, no. PC, or you were like, oh, great, finally someone's I think at the time they came out, like the first couple years, I really didn't notice. And I think the first time I noticed is we used to go to CES, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, the before E3s where all the games got announced. And like, and like actual Bill Steely's daughter was playing Mario at the show. I think it was at the show. And she knew every secret. I'm like, how could she know every secret of this game I've never heard of? Oh, wow. I, mean, I heard of the original Mario, right? Sure, but sure, I hadn't seen this console, you know, the Super original Mario Brothers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she knows where to duck and how to jump on the thing and get behind the level and get to the warp and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah. But so then when I got back to LA, I was living with my, my high school friends. Um, we all roommates and we got, uh, uh, NES and we got Mario Brothers and we got Zelda and we all totally loved them and, and we're totally into it, mm. but weren't doing development at the time. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh. Yeah, I remember, you know, you played Zelda and you had to, like, draw paper maps to remember where everything yes. was. Right. Yeah. So, all when that kind of stuff. When you were playing those NES games at the time, I mean, do you know, were you, like, you know, as somebody who makes games, were you kind of, was it possible for you to just enjoy them? Or were you also looking at them to try to figure out how they did everything? Like, you know, how they did those animations or those little tricks or here and there or whatever it was? A little bit of both. I mean, I think a lot of them you just kind of know. You may not know the exact details because of the limits of the system, but... The NES, in a lot of ways, is like the Commodore 64 in that if you want to do scrolling, you do this this character mapping, tile mapping thing. That the way it works. I'm not going to go into the technical details, <laughs> sure. but right. But and they both had sprites. That's how you got your your characters on the screen. Right. Um. So in a lot of ways, they're very similar in that sense. But there was a big deal with like with Commander Keen with with John Carmack because when he saw. Mario actually it was Mario three or whatever, and he was like, "Wow, this is doing scrolling so easily." Diagonal and PC at that right. time could yes. not be doing it, and so they, when he finally cracked it, that was like a big deal. It was a big then. deal. Yeah. Like, it was very hard to get that kind of stuff on a PC, right? If you did it the straightforward way, I don't remember what his special technique was to get that to work. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, um, but it was. I mean, it was interesting that at that time, this little toy console system or whatever was doing stuff that that even the the pc market couldn't at that time. right yeah yeah back when i got when i finally got into console development um then you really started noticing in every game oh you know what are they doing right like an example was if you go play mega man right you, you can't move like we were just talking about the cinemaware games did these full screen graphics and some of them were animated and that's something that an amiga could do but like the old systems couldn't do very easily. Full screen is hard. And so an NES with its limitations really can't do full screen motion. Right. So they got away with it by doing all these special techniques. So if you go play like Mega uh-huh. Man and you get to a boss, you'll notice the screen goes black. Yeah. And then there's just like a bottom bar and there's the top bar that's all black and there's a character, there's a character in it and it comes scrolling on the screen and maybe goes up and down. And they're doing that by actually just making the whole background, the, the character, the boss and scrolling it. Because they can't actually do it with sprites or the name that you traditionally do it for characters. They're just scrolling this thing and they have some, they have an interrupt. Oh, so those huge like bosses, the dragon. Things they're having like the dragon and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And then they, and then they do the special technique where they, they use an interrupt and they split the screen mm-hmm. so that, so they can make the background on the bottom stay still and the background on the top scroll. And, and then you creatively put sprites in the various places to make the eyeballs move or to make some hands move or do something right. to make it look like the thing is actually animating more than it, it, it is. Mm. Or you wow. make like tread, tank treads that, yeah. you know, and you, and you use color cycling to make them turn. 
like I was mentioning earlier, right, right. Seconds, you do something like that or character animation, um, actually tile animation would be called where you switch the tiles. That's another thing you do for free. So if that's a background, are they, are they putting like an invisible sprite there to detect when you're hitting it? And well, you just damage? compute that stuff. You don't actually need sprites to do collisions. Oh, okay. Okay. You just do that in the code, but yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So those are the creative <sighs> things they do. And those same things made it through the 16 bit area. If you go play something like, uh, um, Gunstar Heroes or, mm. or Dynamite Heady. One of those are the really crazy bosses. Yeah. And like they're doing all this parallax and all that stuff. All that parallax is actually splitting the screen with interrupts and scrolling each, each strip at a different speed. And then, and then using creative art to make it look like the stuff overlaps, but it doesn't actually overlap. It depends on the, on the console, but like if you go back and play, say, Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. And you look at that background. Like I, maybe I should make an article about it, but yeah, you know, you can, yeah. you can show you how, like how, how you make it look like it's overlapping, but it's not actually overlapping. It's just some solid thing that's scrolling hmm. because you make like, let's say you have like a, a range of mountains yeah. and you want some like a, like some skyline in the background. Right. You just make that skyline actually want, it's like, like a, a gradient that's horizontal. Uh-huh. And so if you scroll it, it's, it's not actually going to move. But since it's like blending over, over this thing that looks like horizon, your mind just says, Oh, it's actually, it's scrolling over the, over this oh, gradient, man. but the gradient is actually not doing anything. Right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mind blown. I could talk about this Definitely for like 10 hours. That I just want to say, like, yeah. we don't ever have to end this podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. Ugh. Okay. Well, well, speaking of NES, well, actually, before we do that, what's future classics? Is that a future classics area of a small company? Um, and, uh, with a artist, Kurt Tomanian, who, who worked at, um, Cinemaware. And he funded some, him and his dad funded some small little game, mini games that we did on, uh, PC and Amiga at the time. And they're, I mean, I don't know what to call them. They're kind of like the games you'd find on, on some flash site, like Newgrounds. I mean, okay. there's some awesome games on Newgrounds nowadays, but you know, yeah. they're yeah, yeah. basically about the same amount of effort, except of course, back then we didn't have flash. So yeah, it yeah. took a lot more time. <laughs> old, old school arcade game, kind yeah. of quick. Sort of. But there's kind of like, there's a, yeah, there's some funny ones. There's like a, there's like Diet Riot where you Diet go around Riot. and you, you basically have to try to, I don't, it's kind of like a Pac-Man game. You have to collect all the stuff. Okay. But in the level, there's this junk food. And if you hit the junk food, you get fatter. If you get too fat, you have a heart attack and die. But you can, there's like health food going around. If you collect the health food, you can like, yeah, you'll go back down. Or you can run over to like the little, to the little uh, workout bench and you can work out a little bit. And, uh, down. But if you work out too hard, you'll have a heart attack. So that's oh. that's pretty this awesome. sounds like the greatest iOS game ever. This needs to be remade. There was another one that was Maybe like, uh, Disc Man, I think it was called. It was, it was like one of those puzzle games where basically you have to you have to go get the go get the floppy disk somewhere in this maze like level and carry it to the put it in like the the disk drive slot that'll open the door you can exit the level and then the level's just full of like different kinds of enemies like there's enemies that fall left walls enemies that fall right walls there's bowling balls you can push and there's like explosive things and basically you just go around and you know I mean, kind of like, I mean, in a certain sense, like Adventures of Lolo or one of those things, except with a little more dynamicness. Um, well, the, uh, that, that last game was a perfect segue into MC Kids. Right. For the, for the NES, the McDonald's licensed NES game, which came out, I guess, pretty late in the NES. Somewhat late, yeah. or something? It well, came out after well, SNES came out, so. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I hadn't realized that. So tell, let's hear the whole story on that, on that. I don't, there's a whole story other than that. Yeah. We got told, Hey, you guys are making a McDonald's game. (laughs) Actually, I guess it was a little bit more. I I mean, these are back when teams were really small. Yeah. So there was like, there was me and my friend Dan Chang who works at Nintendo now. He's in DevRel. Oh, cool. And, uh, we were both engineers Mm -hmm. and there's another artist, Darren Bartlett. We all worked at, at Virgin and they basically said, okay, Greg, you're making this Terminator game. 
And right? you're Robocop making. Robocop versus Terminator. Right? Not, it wasn't Robocop oh. versus Terminator time. It was just oh. Terminator. Oh, okay. okay? And, uh, and Dan, you're making this, uh, McDonald's game. Darren, you're doing the artwork for both of these games. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's basically like the whole team, right? And for all go, three go games? For it. Yeah, for two Are games. Two games, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And what so. The fuck? I don't know. At some point, they pulled me off the Terminator game and they gave it to David Perry. And that's, that's the first Terminator game for Genesis. Okay. And then they put, and they put me and Dan both on. on Real quick, what was the Terminator game when you were working on it? Was it, I don't think we we never, I don't know if there was a design. It would be a side scrolling game, but I don't know if we ever got even far enough to do a design. I was working on some animation tools. Okay. okay. I thought, under these these animation tools, we're going to be able to make the best. NES games ever. Yeah. Right? And, right. and at some point that, that ended up taking too much time. They're like, hey, stop this and just freaking make the game. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, and yeah. at some point they're like, all right, now you're working on McDonald's yeah. game. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, and it was just, yeah, once we actually started for real, we only actually spent like six months on it, I think. Mm-hmm. It was like April till September, I think. Mm-hmm. Was did the they buy you guys like McDonald's so you could study up on the... Uh, no, but I did have... I did. We did actually. Me and the guys would go to McDonald's fairly often, and I had like thirty uh, Happy Meals, like glued or like you know thumbtacked in my wall, decorations. We thought were it was stoked pretty cool to be working on the. Um, we were pretty stoked because yeah. McDonald's basically says at the time they sold like a million Happy Meals a day. Yes, and they said they would put an ad for the game in it, for, and it would run for a month. And we're like, okay, Holy there's shit. no way this can't be huge. Exactly. Right. And yeah. we got some small royalty, but it was still like we were pretty excited. But McDonald's said. One of their, 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 they had no, not, not much influence on the game order, but they said no food in the game. They said no food in the game, which is weird because like right after we shipped, like a few months later, I think Treasure released McDonald's Land for, for, yeah, for, uh, Genesis, Genesis right, yeah. and it has food in the game. We're like, right. but it's different producers, right? Every mm-hmm. producer has their own. Maybe that's why you, they had the, uh, they had the rights to food in the McDonald's. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> yeah, you might be right. But we didn't mind. Like, it didn't bother us at all. We were just like, you know, these it's kind of weird because cool. you'd think that that's the thing that they would force down your throat. Like, it has to I have McDonald's just, food. I think all they care about is that kids are going to love McDonald's and, you know, right. Ronald McDonald. And then anytime they see him, mom, mom, let's go there. Right. Mm. So mm. I don't think they really cared. It was just branding. The other, yeah. the other detail that I really loved about this was, um, so you originally had two characters named MC Kid and Mickey D. Correct. But mm-hmm. they were deemed racist? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by, by, by McDonald's? Was one Who of them knows? black? Uh, yeah, one of them was black. Okay, which one was black? Mickey D. So that was deemed as, as racist. Yeah. Or maybe it was the other way around. I don't actually remember. <laughs> but Maybe yeah. it was because he was an MC or something? I don't know. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, other people call it McKids too, and it was always meant to be MC Kids, right? But you, how uh, can you tell, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but, uh... Wait, so what happened then? You changed it to... They're what, just what Mick and Mac. Okay. Oh, right. right. Mick and Mac, the MC kids. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so, and then, then the other detail that I really liked was that you had a Super Mario World, like, over, like, a world map. But then we did have a saw Super- it yes. at a CES and asked you to, it told yes. you to change it? Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know the exact details of what happened, but, yeah. but basically, we're close to finishing... We had this world map that very much kind of looked like the one in, in Super Mario World. Um, you had a very small character, like, you know, smaller than the normal one. Yeah. And, and the map was like, I think two by two screens. So you actually scrolled around the map to get to the different levels. And my understanding is they saw it and said, and not only did they say this game is a copy of Mario, you have to change that. Yeah. But it's a copy of Mario. And, and unless you sign this thing that says it's a copy, we won't let you ship it. And you're not allowed to ship it for any other systems. 
Holy shit. Wow. Which is apparently old school Nintendo negotiating tactics there. Apparently how Global Gladiator started because Virgin apparently had a contract that required them to ship on multiple platforms. And uh, ah. with with some like distributor in some like in Europe or something like that. Yeah. And so they're like you know to appease them, they say, okay, David Perry, go off and make this game as quick as you can. Make this Global Gladiators game and 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 save this from this problem. <laughs> wow. Right. And did you have back then? Was there like you know when you when you were making Nintendo games? Was I know they had all the crazy like chip uh you know lockout chips and this and that and the other thing. But was there like you know dev kits from nintendo or like what did there you may have been games? there may have been dev kits from nintendo for some reason we got our dev kits from some guy in utah <laughs> <laughs> what? i have no idea <laughs> what i have no idea how he made dev kits or what uh it what? must have been cheaper but they were great they were they were what good they look like what it was just even... this big box about like a foot and a half by a foot and a half by like six inches with some like you know, like six LEDs on the front and five toggle switches. <laughs> right? Was there even and an they NES your... in there anywhere? Like yeah. a store there bought? Were, well, NES? I don't know. He must have like, yeah, took apart an NES Shared and put it in there. Out. But it worked. It was he great. Must have been like I... a secret Comerica like <laughs> yeah. supplier man. I had no so problem. So that just like hooked up via like a ribbon card or whatever to your to PC, PC, yeah, and you could be loading stuff straight Correct. onto it. Yep. Huh. And did he have any wow. sort of official That's... connection to Nintendo? I have no idea how it worked. I have no idea. I didn't ask. I just wonder. Here's what you're developing on. Okay, how's it work? Okay, you do this. Yep, cool. But like, yeah, we have wrote a lot of our own tools. Like Dan Chang wrote uh, our assembler, and we and and I made him put all these features in that most assemblers didn't have. So we do things like move things around memory for you automatically and mm -hmm. and reorganize stuff. It was awesome. Were there games that you remember looking at where you guys were like, okay, how did they do this? We're going to study this game. This game is amazing. This game does this really well. Let's look at. I think most of the time you would look at it, you go, that's amazing. And then you, then you just think in your head, how would you go about doing that? And you usually figure it out. Mm -hmm. At least we did. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. So like, you know, when you, when like, even when, uh, on the SNES games in particular, like when, um, uh, Star Fox came out, oh, right? yeah. you had the FX chip, which apparently sped it up, but like, okay, it didn't, and we're like, there's no way you can add new graphic capabilities, really. Um, we just had to add speeds. So we're like, so if we wanted to do this, how would we do it? And we're like, oh yeah, okay, we figured that out and hmm. stuff like that. There's other things like I don't know if you know. Apparently, like if you want to do some of those mode seven effects, if you play Mario Kart, apparently it has a coprocessor to, to compute the stuff to get right yes. that field. But that's not really needed. I think there were some other games that came out later by programmers who figured out, nah, you can. Do oh this. really? Ways yeah. to do it without the coprocessor. Without the coprocessor. Oh. Very cool. Total aside, but since you mentioned Star Fox, did you guys see that thing recently where someone pointed out that, like, in Star Fox, there are two models of the ship, one for cutscenes and one for the game, and the one in the cutscenes is, like, way more advanced looking than the one in the game? Yeah, I, is, that a, is that a secret or anything? I thought I never noticed that. When I, I never noticed it once when I played the game. You knew that back when you were playing Star Fox? I think so. Really? I mean, yeah, I, in the cutscenes, it looks all... I didn't notice this till now, but if yeah. you look at it in cutscenes, it looks all badass. There's all this, like, extra, like, geometry on the ship, and then in the game, it's like this flat, like, right. paper airplane-looking thing. It's like 18 polys instead of six. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> pretty amazing. Exactly. Um, all right, well, uh, then headlong into the... 16-bit era, actually 32. So did you go from uh, MC Kids or RoboCop versus Terminator to Gex? Was that the next? Pretty much. It wasn't Crystal straight Dynamics. to Gex. Yeah, I went to Crystal Dynamics. Dana Gould, right? Um, it was yeah. hot shit at the time. They Crystal were. Crystal Dynamics was like, it was like an HBO going on. Or something, right? 
What's yeah, that? Wasn't he on HBO? Was the guy oh. who did the voice of Gex. And right. He was, a, he was, yeah, had a famous HBO. Isn't that who's hot? I thought you, that's what you were saying was hot shit. You're not talking about Dana Gould. No, hot Crystal shit. Dynamics oh, okay. was, was pretty hot shit for like yeah. a year. There. They were going really yeah, good, much. you know, hyping up the whole 32 bits, going to change the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, edutainment. No, <laughs> I don't know. That's <laughs> that, right? But they were, you know, it was, uh, character platformers with Tood. Now that, now that Sonic had come out, right. like it was, Mario, right. your Bubsies, your whatever, but Gex actually had came to out, have a mascot, had a thing, yeah, yeah. So the well, the two founders of, of 3D, or of uh, Crystal Dynamics were Zach Sega people. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. So, so yeah, how did you end up there? What was this, the whole story? Um, so there was a associate producer at Virgin, Lyle Hall. I think he owns Heavy... Oh, Heavy can't. Iron? No. That might be it, yeah. He owns it now, but he, um, he was a associate producer at Virgin and he graduated to producer by moving to Crystal hmm. and then tried to hire me to work on his projects, which was Gex. So and it worked. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. So you're like a character platformer. Yes. 3DO looks hot, like hot shit. That's the new hotness. I'm going to, yeah, I don't know how he convinced me. I think it went probably all those things, right? It was pretty exciting at the time. There's no reason to believe that it wasn't going to be the next big thing. Right. And it was an opportunity to be in at the beginning. And I don't know. Right. They were, they were a really cool companies. Like the people there were all gamers mm. and they excited. Even that one of the co-founders was a gamer. So, mm. um, that yeah. that game was kind of no. I mean, I think I've read stuff here and there, but wasn't that game really hard to to make work on 3DO in the end? Like I, I re- there were some issues. So like this back, was, that's back to that whole was issue. Very difficult. That's on 3DO, back to that yeah. whole issue that we brought up earlier, where like a SNES and an NES and those tile-based systems were designed for doing 2D scrollers, basically they're scrolling. Right. And these right. pixel-based systems were not, and 3DO was a pixel-based system. So I actually even tried to get them to cancel the project once when I was like, okay, there's no way we can get this to run at 60 hertz. Gex runs at 30 hertz or less. Right. Because the system's just not up to, to doing the kind of graphics we want to put on the screen at 60 hertz. So there was like one or two 60 hertz games for that system that mm. were scrollers. But if you look at the graphics, they're really ugly. They look like, mm. like, like well, <laughs> ugly is probably relative, but right, right. They, look like, <laughs> they look like SNES games. And yeah. you're like, this is a 32-bit game. It should look better than this. Um, that is that is so interesting. Like it was such a weird time because even once the PlayStation came out, there was still that thing where it was like, well, this is like the most powerful system. How could it not do any game, including two D games and whatever, right. better than you know anything else, including the Saturn or whatever, which it seemed like it was more powerful than. But it really did come down to like tools and things being made for certain types of things and yeah well for those kind of systems is basically how many pixels you draw yeah and if you're doing a 3d game there are techniques to make sure that you never draw any pixel more than once right more than once is not true but more than one and a half or two times when you're doing a scrolling game with parallax there's no easy way to not draw everything and multiple times Mm. and that's where it turns into badness the other thing is that when you're doing a scrolling game um you probably see this when you go to a movie. If they do a panning, you've heard this thing, and this is the whole thing with the new Hobbit, right? They've got a, they've got this 48 frames a second high right. HFR thing. Right, right, right. And so now they can do panning shots, and it won't stutter. If you go watch a, a normal movie, and there's some big pan across something, it'll stutter like crazy. And uh, when you're doing a first-person game, 3D, you mostly go into the screen, so you don't pan that often, and you don't notice that it would stutter if it's 30 hertz. But Hmm. If you're doing a side-scrolling game, it's all it, you're always doing the worst possible case for stuttering. So if it's not uh, running at 60 hertz, it just looks bad. And sometimes you can get away with that. And the reason they actually shipped Gex is because there was one <laughs> game on on uh, 
Genesis, the, um, uh, the Tasmanian Devil game. Yes, Taz. That only runs at 30. And they're like, oh, this game shipped. I never noticed it was running at 30. And so that was like, the, you know, the guys up above were like, okay, fine. Nobody's going to care. Because uh-huh. basically what happens is if you're the player, you're focusing on the main character and he's not moving very much relative right. to, the, to the, to the actual TV. So you don't see him having a ghosting problem. Mm-hmm. It's only if like you're not playing and you're staring at the background like, that you notice. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I have kind of what might be a dumb question here, but my, my memory of the 3DO at the time was that it had at least two like very like distinct like uh arcade perfect ports I I guess of like Street Fighter and Samurai Showdown I think it was they might have been Samurai visually Showdown was they garbage. weren't arcade perfect they might have been Samurai visually Samurai Showdown was awful actually. Street Fighter was pretty bad too mostly because of the controller I mean you yeah couldn't Street play Fighter it. was supposed to be at the time like the best version of it except for the controller but Samurai yeah. Showdown those were the two bad. the exact two games that made me buy a 3DO that's the thing that I was wondering about because I was thinking back like okay I mean. That was the only reason why I wanted one was because of fighting <laughs> games and fighting games being what they were back then. It's like, sure. Did we have like teams of Japanese like programmers in a room just locked in a dungeon trying to make this work on a 3DO? Yeah, I don't know that we, um, we are actually huge fans of Samurai Showdown and we had a Neo Geo and guys would play all the time. Yeah. And then later they got the contract to do the port. And so they poured through it. But one of the funny things was... Yeah, that's may- right. Maybe- they did the port. Yeah, they did the port. So one of the funny things was, maybe you guys all know that. this, but uh, um, in Samurai Shodan, there's that part where the two guys will like, run to each other and clash swords, and it has a little like, icon, press the button, button as fast as you can, and right, right, whoever right, presses right. more wins, and the other swords goes flying. Yep. Um, well, one of the programmers, when this is before we had the code, right? We were playing on the Neo Geo, and he just said, I think this is random, and he just let off and not pl- press the button, and he'd win 50% of the time. And then <laughs> when they got the contract... Like to do the port, they go and ask the programmers, hey, go look this up. Is this actually, you know, looking at the button? And they looked it up. No, it's not. It just picks a random number. Shut oh, the fuck up. Oh, picks a random number. Are you serious? Yeah. It's all in your head. Oh There's my gosh. Crazy, but it actually says, like, know, it actually it shows, does. like, the button, does, like, but it does not the look at the button. It just picks a random number at the end. That's terrible. <laughs> my, my uncle actually figured that one out because he got what? a new geo too. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Now I'm questioning you, everything. Exactly. <laughs> everything you knew about what? Samurai Showdown was a lie. God, that's actually, yeah. That, damn. That actually no reminds me going all the way back to Gunship. Those things, things came up because I worked on Gunship and you play the, when you, when you program the game, well, there used to be a magazine called Computer Gaming World. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Course. And they they had a review of Gunship. They loved it. And they were talking about how they're going in, they're going in low, they're staying under the mountains, they're trying to hide from the SAM sites, yeah. you know, there's and all this kind of stuff. And and they're talking about sneaking around the mountains so they don't get hidden and stuff like that. Well, the Commodore 64 didn't have enough power to like check if there's a mountain there. So like uh, <laughs> so like so like there's just there's just the the, the rule is there's there's where your helicopter is. There's where the missile launch site is, or the like the the anti aircraft guns or whatever. And it just looks at the angle mm. and picks a random number, right? Like <laughs> the, the higher the angle, the more likely you are to get hit. Because if you're higher angle, you're flying directly over it. Okay. If you're low angle, you're low. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, but then the players they make up the rest of the story in their head. They think wow. there's an actually enemy there. <laughs> wow. and, yeah, that's it's the amazing. ultimate workaround. I can't it's in your head. Samurai showdown thing is just and now I'm like. Because Samurai Showdown 2, I really played. I mean, I played a lot of 1, but now I'm wondering if it was random in 2 as well. Like, Because it really did seem that way sometimes. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? I don't know. Just... Maybe I shouldn't have told you. I don't want to spoil that for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every game you there play now. No right? Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. All right. Well, um, so next on your Moby Games list, and this is incredibly interesting to me, 
because it lists 1995 Disruptor, which I know as like a, a pretty good, pretty capable Doom clone that came out for the PlayStation, PlayStation 1. One, but it says 4M2, right? which I know as the ill-fated video follow-up yeah. from Panasonic, which never came out, right. but got pretty far along to the point that dev kits went out, um, D2 got pretty far along for it, which right. ended up coming out for the Dreamcast, and there was the ar- arcade board from Konami that eventually, I guess, came out that was kind of based and on And that it, was but... a real mystery, too, because the first ever that I ever saw, and I was, I'm pretty sure I was pretty into the scene back then, the first ever, like... I don't know if it was mock-up hardware or just like dev hardware or whatever early shots of M2 anything came out of Japan, even though this yeah, is, yeah. The 3DO was like very much a Western-based thing. Well, no, thing, it was but... Panasonic was going to be funding it, right? Right. It was right. And you would see, though, because for a long time, we was like, is this a real thing? Is this vaporware? Like, you didn't really know if M2 was legit, and then you actually saw like pictures of that stuff. Yeah, I don't really know why it never came out, but there were a lot of problems developing for sure, it. And, and a lot of it was really... political. Like, um, the guys who were in charge of the software the os they were ex amiga guys and I don't where know were they out of were they american were they European? no they're american okay and uh they wanted you to write in such a way that they could change the hardware later right so they didn't want you to write directly to the hardware <laughs> and right. and so they were like uh yeah here you know here's some os functions that you can call to get some stuff on the screen and you try to use them and it would be just incredibly slow and you guys have heard of Mark Cerny. Yes, of course. He, he went in there and like kicked some ass and said, you know, said, give me the freaking hardware specs and let me write directly to hardware. What and was he, he showed, working on at the time? He was working, helping us with Disruptor. Disruptor, okay. And he was, of course, working with, uh, the guys at Insomniac doing the, the PS1 version and on Crash Bandicoot. And, uh, right, right. so he went in there and he basically kicked ass and he said, give me the actual hardware specs, you know, I'll punch you. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was at that time, he was like a, a producer at Universal. Or? Yeah. But he's all, he's a very technical guy. Yeah. He's very hands on with a lot of that kind of stuff. Right. He was and the SDI so, guy, right? The Sega Technical Institute. Yes. So. He worked on he, Sonic and, and various things. Yeah. So he went in and he basically said, I, he, he figured out how to get the speed out of the system. And, you know, basically said, you guys have to just let people go directly to hardware. They're never going to get any speed. Well, who was he talking to? Like, where was the M2 coming out of? Was it coming out of 3DO in America? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was Chip okay. Hawkins still the boss at the time? Or? I don't remember. Oh, okay. But, and you, at that time, were with who? Who were you we had, had a, working I had my own company with some friends called okay. Seven. There were seven of us. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and that was our first contract was to do the M2 version of the Disruptor. Okay, so it's going to be multi-platform. It was always planned for the PlayStation, but you were going to do the M2 version. Right. Okay. And so um, we shared artists a little bit. Some of the Mm -hmm. monsters that made it into the PS1 version were made by the artists at 7. Interesting. And, yeah. um, So it was kind of, it wasn't just going to be a port. You were both working on creating the game kind of at the same time. Yeah, that was one of those interesting things. There's a whole bunch of interesting stories there. One of which is that when you start a company... Especially it's your own company and you, you know, you're excited to have all this creative input. And then you work with some publisher, there are going to be a lot of miscommunication. Mm-hmm. So when we started the project, like, uh, Mark had already designed the game pretty much. Mm. And he's like, yeah, you guys can have input. And like, <laughs> our, our, famous our, last words. Yeah. Our, uh, his, his idea of that was like, yeah, you can give me some tips and some ideas you've thought you have and I'll adjust it maybe 5%. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the color of the and, laser yes, beams yeah. that you shoot. And their idea, choose. like the, the artists who really wanted to have input, their idea is, oh, we can just throw away everything that's there and start over, right? Uh, <laughs> and so there was a lot of tension there. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And yeah, I don't know if the either one necessarily wrong. It's just they just heard what they wanted to hear, right? Sure. So, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that was one thing. Um, oh, it so was, how, how far did you get on that? Like how far we you had we got we got animated characters up running at sixty hertz was very little, and and you know wow. the system only had like two meg of memory, and you want um you know PS one or better because you've got better graphics. You want stuff to look pretty, so we had to figure out how to compress the animation, all that kind of stuff. So we got animated characters, we got the levels up like our first levels, but the problem was is that the system was really low level, mm. and so. I don't know if this will make any sense. You have to do your own clipping or it'll run too slow. It means if something is like half on, half off the screen, it actually processes though it's drawing all the pieces that are off. Yeah. And as they get oh, close, see, they get see, really big because, you know, things that are closer are bigger. So they get sure. extremely large and it runs really slow. Right. And so we didn't actually get that part working. So you could run through the level and, and as soon as, as, some, as long as something was like centered in the screen, you could see the piece. But as soon as a piece of it was off the screen, it would just not draw it. Uh, and then in order then, to conserve, uh, I guess, memory or whatever to make well it to make it run fast. Speed. And then the yeah. idea was the next thing we had to solve was that, but we got the project got canceled at the time. Which actually, if you want to go to another, like I don't know, if there's a good story or a bad story, but <laughs> at the time, Universal Studios had hired as their first project, right, Insomniac, who was doing Disruptor, yeah, um, Naughty Dog, who was doing Crash Bandicoot, and us was doing Disruptor M2. You know, to be one of those. Three, right? Uh, Two of them went everywhere, yeah, and right. yeah, our uh. group died. And they actually gave us the option that when they canceled, they basically said, you know, move up to move your offices up to the Universal Studios. We'll we'll watch over you guys and help you ship this game. But none of us wanted. We were up in, down in Orange County, and none of them wanted to move up there. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when you look back on it. I don't know that we would have done it because I don't know if we had the right mix of people. But um, but yeah, it's one of those things. Sure, like, you can't help but think. Can't help like, but think about if, it. Sure, what sure. If, yeah. But um, you know, let me ask you. So when when the game got when the project got canceled, was it because the M two project got canceled, or was it just that the, the, for whatever reason they decided not to make the game? Like was there, was the there time, a point when like M two just time, stopped happening? They, I think they decided they wanted somebody else working on it, and they're like Universal decided they that they wanted to just come up where they could like watch what we were doing and uh, and, and help us. Get on the straight and narrow from whatever issues. Come more in house or right. give us some money. So it wasn't else. like the M2 project had died. At the time, the M2 that... had not died yet. But okay. yeah. And was that the end of seven or? That was the end of seven. Um, we ended up four of, four of seven ended up starting another company called Big Grub where we tried to make a, I guess you call it a Zelda clone with Diablo like graphics for <laughs> PS1 <laughs> and PC. That sounds kind of awesome. What was it called? It was called Maximum Gauge. Ah, uh, okay. the next game on the list. So yeah. what, what happened with Maximum Gauge? Yeah, being indies, we didn't know what we were doing, right? So mm-hmm. we bit off more than we can chew. It's one of those things where I think at the time we had made several platformers, like, you know, shipped MC Kids and shipped this uh, Terminator versus Robocop and and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, well, if you look at at a Zelda-like game, action RPG, I don't know what you want to call that, action yeah. adventure. Action like you can think of each map as a, as a, as a Mario level that you walk over and you touch something and you go into another map, which is the dungeon. And so you can just add those up, right? There's just this many levels. Right. It's about the same amount of work as a 2D game. But that you don't realize is that, oh, wait, most of that work is actually coming with a story and putting these dialogues in and all these elaborate cutscenes where somebody walks over here and then pulls mm. out the sword and says, ta-da, mm. and then walks in here and gives it to you, <laughs> and the princess comes in and says, save me, and all that kind of stuff. And that's actually like double the work, just that part alone. Right. Mm. And so, yeah, I don't, we had no idea. We worked on it for, I worked on it for about a little over a year and then left. 
And the guys worked on it for another few months until it was finally canceled. Mm. Wow. Realized there was just more work than anybody realized. Mm. And you left to do what? I left to go to Japan and work at Sega. Wow. All right. So walk us through that decision. Uh, well, at the time I, I was like working on, on at, at, uh, Big Grub and knew that like as, as a technical director, most of my work was done and the guys that were still left could finish the game without having to add any big technical things to the game. At least that was what I was thinking. Um, you could ask them if that was true. <laughs> <laughs> he abandoned us. Yeah. And, uh, so like, you know, being one of the founders at a, a relatively high salary, I'm like, if I take off and you guys can use that money to finish, um, and at the time I was studying Japanese, mm-hmm. which was another thing inspired by Mark. I saw Mark yeah. be able to ne- to negotiate with like Sony Japan to do PS1 stuff before anybody else. Yeah, thought. he's Mark Cerny's pretty much fluent, right? Yeah. 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 And so I saw saw that, thought I should learn Japanese. And so at the time I had taken some classes outside and uh actually had some Japanese roommates to help me practice. And of course my Japanese sucked. But I was like, I guess if I'm serious, I should actually go. Mm. And so I thought about going talk to Mark and he helped me get into Sega. Cool. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, he's got a lot of influence. So you guys probably know he's like, you know, got a lifetime achievement award and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. He's oh, yeah. A super so it was like, secret badass. Yeah. He's very, yeah, behind the scenes, but very influential yeah. in a whole lot of ways in the industry. We went, he said, well, come with me to Japan. I'm going in like in December. I'm like, okay. So I like go with him and he, and we go to Sega and he just walks in. He's like, you know, hey, Mr. Vice President, you know, and I guess the Vice President was like best man at his wedding type of thing. Oh. Wow. He's like, hey, you should hire this guy. And, like, and the guy's <laughs> like, oh, Mark says we hire you. Here's a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Wow. So, and so in, in this era, it was, uh, you know, Saturn, I guess, right? Dreamcast. We, I was actually, we we're, were doing arcade at the time. So this okay. was Naomi Arcade, which is, mm. I guess, the predecessor to Dreamcast. Right. Yeah. Pretty I don't much. Know if they're the same hardware exactly. Pretty but close. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. So, and so at that time, you come over, you're like, fuck it. I'm just going to move to Japan. I'm going to live near Sega and Haneda. Actually, they put, well, they put us, put me up in the, in the Sega dorms, which were, which are where? like about an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> away from the office. What? Are you serious? Yes. Where are, where were they? Are they closer to like reality they're, or Sega's already They're far at away. a station called Masashi Shinjo, Masashi which is on Nambu line, like, I don't know, seven or eight. It's between Sashikosugi and, uh-huh. Mizunoguchi. Oh, okay. okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. And there's a story there. Like, they don't know any Japanese. And back at the time, <laughs> we don't have smartphones, so there's no maps. Right. But you can God. just look up. And if you go to that station, it's a JR line. And then, mm. if you know, there's at least 10 train stations in Tokyo. And they don't show each other's lines. So you're on there, and you're like, how do I get to Shibuya yeah. or Shinjuku? And it says, oh, you take the train down to Kawasaki, which is south. It was yeah. the wrong direction. You get on a train... <laughs> Um, going from Kawasaki to Shinagawa, and then you take a train from Shinagawa up to Shinjuku, and and or Shibuya is a better example, probably. Mm-hmm. And I did that for six months, oh, not man. knowing that that there was a quicker way. That took like you know I don't know, it was an hour, hour and a half. How long uh-huh. it takes to go that way? Oh, because the because the because the map doesn't show it. Right. There's no like I don't know if there were maps on the internet yet. Like right, right, right. right. There yeah, was no Google Maps. Right. Yeah. And so this uh, is like 96, 97, 98 yeah. kind of. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, then later I found out, oh, I could go I could go down to three stops, two stops and take a train directly in. And then mm. and then two months after that I found out, oh, if I just walk the other direction to the next closest station, which is actually probably <laughs> the same distance just in the opposite right, direction right. and go straight. <laughs> 20 minutes, you know. Are or, you serious? Yeah. 20 oh minutes. God, really? Yeah, if, if that, you know, I probably take an express and it's probably like 15 minutes. I was going to say, like, that <laughs> so can't be awesome. that far from like, Nowadays, yeah, that would yeah, not happen. You just look it up yeah, on Google yeah. Maps or something you and it would just tell you exactly what to do. But, but, like, if you lived in the dorms with 
other Sega employees? Yeah, yeah. They don't talk to each other. Nobody in my division was in there. And, Did you not? And okay. They're very friendly. <laughs> so I think I met one person in the dorms. Tell me about the Sega there. dorms. Like, were you running into people who were working on, you know, who'd worked on Virtual Fighter 2? They're very private, kind of so I really didn't meet anybody. Yuji Naka was like up the really? hall. Yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Fucking Yu Suzuki's goddamn I don't know parties. That, I, a lot of companies have dorms, I guess. And, and usually yeah. it's yeah, like yeah. when you get right out of school, they know you can't afford it. And mm-hmm. so they give you one, and it's very cheap. It's like $150 a month or something for a place that might normally cost eight or nine hundred a month. Right. Yeah. Um, but um sometimes but they, they only let you stay there for three, yeah. And no visitors, right? Right. But they um they they're just apartments. They're not like like high school dorm or not right. or, uh, college dorms where you're sharing anything. Right, right. But um but usually I think there's a limit of three years and they kick you out and then you probably have this sudden shock that your salary really can't afford the place. Right. <laughs> you know, because it pays a little. So how long were you there at the I was only actually there eight months the first time. I planned to be there three years and then the opportunity to work in IDOG came up and my friends were there and for some reason I just got really excited about that and mm-hmm. and went home. So well, while you were at Sega before you left though, so was that were you working on Zombie Revenge? That's what I was, I was working on Zombie Revenge, okay. yeah. And, we'll and it was fun. That. It was I mean, it was a small team and maybe twelve people. People who don't know, it's kind of like a dynamite deca kind of final fighty, but with guns. Yeah, it's set in the it's set in the uh, House of the Universe. So you right. go around shooting. Is it set the in guns. the same yes. House of the oh, Dead yeah. universe? I did yeah. not know that. And they, I was in AM one. They're House of the Dead guys. Um, and it was interesting working at Sega because you probably may have heard this. Japanese developers are very, or at the time, are very backward technically. Right, so mm-hmm. the the way the company is run is there's like three guys. I don't know are, what you're talking about. Backwards develop, uh, you know, Japan. Know. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> they're they're like um, there's like three developers who are the library department, and they write mm-hmm. the system that does the graphics, and the other guys are almost like scripters. And if the system isn't in the library, they won't add it. They won't like. They're not. I don't know if they don't consider themselves talented enough, or if there's some political reason they just won't do it. But like, like if you remember, actually later there was a game. Um, called Uo, which not a good game, but it's basically a fish adventure. You like swim a fish underwater, and you, you, if you have an underwater that not be scene, a good game. I yeah. don't understand. Uo, Uo, Uo. Did that actually Uo. come out? It came out. Is that Uo? Yes. That's okay. how you pronounce Sakana. Oh, the yeah. kanji. Oh, yeah. all right. Uh, so anyway, but like, there's a thing called caustics, which is all the light reflecting under the water. Like when you look in a pool and you see all those neat reflections. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You pretty much have to have that to have a water game. But they're like, well, our library doesn't have that, and the library guys won't put it in for us, so we're not. <laughs> not <doing it." laughs> That's the kind of example where they're just like, wow. like they didn't have line drawing in the, in the library, so you couldn't draw any lines, right? <laughs> you to. So what they would do is they would make like a they would make a cube that's one unit big. And then they'd scale it and rotate it and position it in the world to get a line. Oh, like a, oh my yeah. God. Whoa. Right? It works. Yeah. They, they just work with what they had. Yeah, tell me more about, so coming to Japan, was that your first time coming to Japan? Yeah, I visited once on vacation for like a week. And, now, so it was, and then came with Mark to get the job for okay. a week. And then that was my first yeah, time long term. So tell me about your first impressions. You, you come to Japan to live and work. My first impression was I like die from heat because I came at the end of... Of May, uh-huh. and it's it's very humid in Tokyo. You yeah. guys know. Oh God, yes. And so whatever, you know, I'm so, so, I'm super excited. I'm in Japan. I'm in Japan, right? Yeah. I don't care. And and <laughs> and the funny thing was, like, my Japanese sucks. They show me the 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 HR guy. You can tell he's not happy about this. He has to show the foreigner how to get to the uh-huh. office and how to go to the dorms and let me into the place. And he he drops me off. 
and I don't know how to use the air conditioner, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if there is an air conditioner. I just know there's this there's this <laughs> thing up there that blows air. It could be a heater. It could be an air. It could, could just right. be a fan. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I push the buttons. I cannot figure out how to get it to to make <laughs> cold air. So I'm just assuming it just must it must just be a heater. Mm-hmm. So for three weeks I live without air conditioning. Oh my and god! It, and, I, and it would just be. It, I mean, <laughs> if you guys live in a, if you live in a humid place, you're used to this. But I was from LA. It's not humid. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not used to basically stepping out and literally like in 30 seconds you have sweat dripping down it your body. Out, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. In 30 seconds, it doesn't take time at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would get home and be covered in sweat. I would just immediately get in the shower, then yeah. like sit on the bed, maybe watch TV for an hour, an hour and a half. And then jump back in the shower just before I get <laughs> in bed and then go to sleep. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until like three weeks later that I was talking to some Japanese friend and I mentioned to her, you know, I don't, my, air, I don't have air conditioning. And she just like, like looked at me like I must be insane. <laughs> I think, yeah, she's probably right. Uh, I pushed some buttons again and the air conditioning came on. Uh, oh. No reason I had no air conditioning for three weeks. How was it? How was it at work? Like, how were you getting by day to day? Was it just like, trying to figure stuff out i mean how were you working with coworkers? And stuff? well yeah my japanese wasn't so great there was one guy on the team who spoke english okay. and uh but i asked him to, good english good english he lived in texas for a while went to okay. school oh nice and he um i asked but i said don't speak to me in english unless you absolutely have to and uh i had a little bit of japanese i had been studying for like a year and a half not mm-hmm. conversational at all but you know you'd like kind of stutter some words out and mm-hmm. i don't know they must have laughed their asses off you know the kind of crazy stuff i, I said can't, i can't even believe a greg um that can't speak japanese that's how that's good your japanese after is. i started learning or after i got a little bit better but it was funny because i remember like writing one of the guys on the team like introduced himself through email and i wrote him back and said like anta Instead of Anta, oh. right? And Anta yeah. is like something you, you, you say to somebody like you're angry at and you want right. to piss off and yeah. like you're like, you know. And it wasn't, I didn't even know the word Anta. It was just uh-huh. like, you know, my, my eyes do not auto-correct yeah. Japanese. Right, right. I just type the stuff and assume that I type the right thing. It was kind of embarrassing. But mostly... <laughs> Did he get mostly, pissed or what? No, happened? he didn't get pissed. He's like, yeah, you shouldn't use that word. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're still friends, actually. That's I the saw word you time. for people who don't for people who don't know. Right. It's like in, a, in sort of an aggressive low, way. Yeah. 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 Hey, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So mostly because it's engineering, because I'm a programmer, you can just look at the code and mm. not have to talk to anybody and figure mm. stuff out. And so, and it's a game. And I don't remember exactly what they asked me to do as the first thing, but at the worst thing, they would just draw sketches, which is actually one of the big difference between. These Japanese games that were made at the time and English or Western games is the way the planners will like mm-hmm. almost like storyboards that will plan out and draw diagrams. Okay, the guy goes here for five frames and then he swings and right. and this is the arc that I want his sword to go in and all that kind of stuff. And so they give you that and say and then you can just you don't need much of an explanation mm-hmm. to make it. That's a, that's a, so that's the next thing I was going to ask you was like the differences between like the immediate differences that you noticed between. Japanese game design at that time and what was going on. That was one big difference. Yeah. It's Um, much more visual. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And much more like the planners actually, yeah, do a lot. I don't want to say they do a lot more, but they just do it very differently. Planner being like design. Planner, yeah, is a a game designer in in English. Right. Um, In Japan, they call them planners. So they do more meaning like what, what, even after they they plan it out. I mean, there, it seems like this isn't always true because I can, go to some extreme opposite examples, but they actually write down on paper how they want the game to go. Like they have to, they try to think it through, not just say, Hey programmer, do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, later say, Oh, that's not really what I meant. 
because they, they try to actually visually describe what they want to happen and, uh, and try to make it so that by looking at the description, you can kind of picture the game and what's mm-hmm. supposed to happen as opposed to just saying, Oh, I want samurais and I want them to sing swords, make something and then they'll go adjust it. Right. right. They'll, they'll actually diagram stuff out. So in some sense, it's much more hands-on in that way as opposed to just sort of throwing well, it Well, it's there. hands-on except that they don't do it on the computer. They're drawing like I hand-drawn see. sketches. Mm-hmm. And so there'll be piles of them that you wouldn't see at a, so at a Western It's indirectly company. hands-on, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They say Japan, like Japanese developers, like approached, uh, well, at least for a long time anyway, approached game development like craftsmen. Like they like they just take, all you know... Crazy amounts of care for every little detail, but uh, I got that impression later. to some degree. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's still somewhat true. It is, and I mean, I think actually that's one of the real, the real, uh, you know, um, advantages that well, I don't know if it's an advantage because it obviously caused a lot of money problems and stuff. But it's one of the things that make Japanese developers unique is like they actually take, put a lot of care into very minor details. But sooner or later, as tech got more and more expensive and development got prices got you know budgets went up and everything, they just realized like okay. This is this just doesn't work. Like you have to find. We got to use engines. We got to just find ways to cut down on the cost of making games. Yeah, they do that. They're also like, I I don't. I'm assuming they're still not quite as poor at some of the development practices as they used to be. But I remember like looking at you know House of the Dead and thinking, you know, guys, I could write you guys some scripts and an engine where you guys could just turn these out. Just need some artists in Maya, and you'd set some hitboxes and type a few things and say go from this and that scene, and you wouldn't need any programmers, and you could ship twenty games. Yeah. But you look at every one, and every one has like ten programmers doing nothing. Right. I, like, what are you doing? This is the same game with some stuff tweak. Why are you remaking this? I don't know. But yeah. it's the whole thing about not making an engine and using it as each game was built from the ground right, up right. for that thing. Yeah. Right. But as yeah, but as an example, like this is actually a few years later, but in uh, in two thousand and two, when I was back at Sega. Um, as an example, one of the crazy development practices, they didn't have any tools where an artist could make some art and see it on the final system. The way it worked is the artist would make the art. They would give it to a programmer who was like the data wrangler programmer. He would take their Maya file and run some tools which would actually take the data, convert it into C++ code. Then he would compile it directly into the game. And the next day they could see the stuff they had Oh, my God. Jesus. Like wow. versus, you know, nowadays you guys use Unity or something. You just right. is there, right? Yeah, yeah, and then right. they had tools some, somewhat like that back then. Um, uh, I forgot the, the game. There was, an, I think it was Renderware. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, they had tools similar, similar to that where the, you could just, the artists could go off and do their own thing. Yeah. But Sega didn't have those at the time. And I'm yeah. sure other... What uh, Japanese developers? Well, the other big, the other crazy thing about Sega at the time, I remember, because we had a few friends there. You were working there, and also our good friend Jake, who's been on the show, was working at uh, Mizuguchi's team, which I guess was nine or whatever. You were in the AM, what one, I guess, or and like between the nine divisions of Sega, they didn't share anything either. So like you would have all these different dev teams individually doing everything completely separate from each other. You think the bosses up top? Well, yeah, now there's, there's very I much think, still true. There's in less general, teams now, yeah. But it's yeah. amazing to me that like the bosses <laughs> or the people who are actually in charge of the money would not think to themselves like, okay, you guys can share resources. We're and, replicating yeah. work. I think, yeah, I think the guys at the top kind of leave it down, hmm. down levels. And I remember when I was at Sony, um, I asked the uh, Ape Escape team for their engine to work on a Sony game. Like, just give me your engine and 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 the. Uh, the producer there is like, no, if we give you the engine, then we're then you're going to be asking my programmers questions, which means they're not going to be working on my game, so no, you can't have it. Right? Oh, wow. You know, like, oh, so I'm just going to make a new one then. Right? Yeah. That's what? Crazy. What a waste yeah. of 
time and money. Well, back back to Sega because I I do want to talk about about you going back and your time with Sony and stuff like that. But back to Sega. So at that time, were were you seeing uh, hints at Dreamcast? Were there other Dreamcast was? I mean, there we knew about it. Like, right. I don't remember any like crazy details. Uh-huh. I remember my coworkers not feeling like it was going to be the thing that saved Sega. Mm, like I don't oh, really? remember, but it was something like Sega Guru Guru Sudo something. Do you remember that? Yeah. No. Yeah. So they had the spiral. Yeah. And the spiral, like the, the turning, is like Guru Guru. Uh, so they had some like ad that said, you know, Sega's now oh, spiraling like again turning, or whatever. And my coworkers like turning no, around, we're not spiraling. <laughs> <laughs> we're spiraling down. So people were like, well, like <clears throat> people were a little worried about this kind of future. The my coworkers were. I don't know yeah. what the whole attitude was. Yeah. Right, Damn. right, right. But like, Dreamcast was such an awesome system. Though, man. Awesome Someday, system. I would rather have a Dreamcast retrospective, honestly, than like a Genesis or a Saturn one. Like, Dreamcast was such an awesome system. We'll do them both. Yeah. I miss it. Man, Soul Calibur. Ugh. It's good times. So, <clears throat> but uh, an opportunity too good to refuse came up while you were at Sega. You were liking being in Japan? You know, I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I love Japan, so I must have liked it, but I don't remember exactly what made me want to go. It could have been that I didn't feel that close to anybody, and, mm. and you know, it is hard to make friends. I haven't met a, a lot of uh, foreigners here. I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad, but when you're Japanese, it's kind of wishy-washy. It's hard to have a conversation real long. Right. Sorry. We would go to, um, uh, they work crazy hours there, so we would work like 10 a.m. till 10.30 p.m. every night, and... That was like your normal non-crunch. That was non-crunch time. Oh, yeah, the wow. really? crunches work all night, right? Really? Yeah. Wow. And so we would go to dinner every night, and and that was nice to be able to be with your coworkers, and and I'm sure that's one of the reasons I'm still friends with them is because we spent mm. so much time together. Yeah. But it would be like you know I would try to have a conversation for like the first five minutes, and then you know your Japanese isn't that good. You you yeah. can't you can't take it because you can't concentrate that hard, and they can't have more than a few <laughs> sentences before they're like, hey, I just want to talk to my coworker, my mm. coworkers speak. So were people. Um, uh, grumpy about the working hours i mean that's not even crunch i don't think they would they think that that's it's just how it was normal. Yeah. yeah i mean is it's still it, that way at some companies is yeah. it true that they have they had a room in the basement that they put people that um wants to quit uh want that the company wants to quit to quit to make quit I, I don't know about the thing in the basement i do know <laughs> that according to certain people it's illegal to sleep overnight at the, at the office, uh-huh. but Sega had a room full of cots for sleeping overnight. Oh. Uh. <laughs> well, did you end up using that very much? I never used it, no. I either stayed up all night or went home, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, but, but there were times yeah. where you would just stay up all night. Yeah. Wow. It, it was toward the end, right? It wasn't all the time. Mm-hmm. Did wow. you ship that game? Is that what yes. happened? You, okay. So you shipped it on Revenge and, yeah. and the arcade <laughs> game. Um, did you go out and see it in the arcade and watch people play it? And yeah, there was that? something they learned. Like they brought it um, early to the JAMA show, yeah. which is the the arcade show, and it was interesting learning Japanese because it said Zombie Revenge in English, and you see English all over the place in Tokyo and on ads and on you know products, but they rushed back in the middle of the day and printed up a sign in katakana because Japanese people actually can't read the English; it's just there mm. for show apparently, <laughs> and most of them like they kind of just look at it as as a picture, but tune it out. And if you don't actually spell it out somewhere, I mean, I'm sure they could concentrate and figure out what it says, yeah. but it's something that they don't mm-hmm. concentrate it's on. Unnatural. So they had yeah. to come back and, and make up a Katakana sign. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how did the Naughty Dog thing come about? The So the Naughty Dog thing is like several of my friends from Crystal had gone to Naughty Dog. Uh, 
uh, Danny Chan, Evan Wells, mm-hmm. Stephen White. Evan, who is now Evan basically is now the president, president of Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog. Yeah, yeah, they all went to Naughty Dog from Crystal. And uh, Is this after Crash? It's during Crash. It was during Crash 3. Crash, okay, but after Crash 1. Like after Crash, crash 1 and Crash 2. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And during Crash 3. Okay. And, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but I remember, like, I just actually ran into Stephen White and Andy Gavin in Ginza. Um, really? They were coming out of the, the famous toy store there, and I was, or maybe I was coming out, they were going toward it, but we passed each other, and, and yeah, they said, you should come to, you know, Naughty Dog, and, and for whatever reason, I'm like, yes, I should do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I was just like fed up with Japan at the time or what, because I was having a pretty good time here, but yeah, something made me want to go, and, and, and so I went, yeah, it was awesome because so many friends there. Mm. And worked on Crash Team Racing. So yeah, so they <clears throat> they were riding high. This is right about the time that I was getting into the gaming magazines, official PlayStation magazine. But like Crash Team Racing was, you know, obviously they knew the hardware inside and out. They right. made Crash One, Two, and Three. They were kind of the known for basically pushing the hardware, looking really good and whatever. Kart racing was a big genre at the time. I mean, kind of still is in some ways, but. um but so, w- where was that project when you moved over? Was it like come come to Naughty Dog work on Crash Team Racing, or was it? It was come to Naughty Dog work on Crash Team Racing. They already had the game basically up. They had no AI yet, but you could race the cars. Um, you could race your own car around the track. And uh, Danny Chan was the lead programmer. He's now at at uh, Sledgehammer working on oh. whatever the next Sledgehammer game is. But he they shipped Modern Warfare Three. Mm. And, uh, he's an amazing guy and, and he made the tech for that game. And it's one of those ones where it's probably only geeks would appreciate how much tech goes into that too. Cause that system, like you look at a lot of the games, I don't know if you remember, it doesn't have perspective correct texture mapping. So the textures kind of go really weird when they get yeah. too close. Yeah. And they get really pixelated. Like a lot of games are really pixelated. But if you go back and play Crash Team Racing, it almost never gets pixelated. There's crazy stuff going on in that game to make sure that it doesn't. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that, that's that stuff. looked really good. Especially at the that. time, that was one of those late cycle games where you're like, wow, okay, these guys know the shit, like, inside and out at this time. Yeah. That's also kind of universally regarded as one of the few, like, sort of Mario Kart clones that actually stands on its own as a really, really good game, too. Like, I mean, that pretty much universally loved by, like, I think PlayStation owners. Yeah, we're pretty happy about that to read that. Like, I saw, yeah. I saw some, I don't know what I was searching for, but I saw a crash team racing video on YouTube just the other day. It had a quarter million views. <laughs> and like the top comment was I don't know if I should say this, but it said yeah, still still better than Need for Speed 2012. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But uh we so, we love that game. Like even yeah. I and mean, probably because it's four players, but we would play the crap out of that game. Mm. Just at work. Right. So it was really fun to work on. What was it like? So you came into Naughty Dog, you moved back to the States what was it like coming back and, and working? Was it, uh, I mean, the hours kind of crazy at that time? Did you come the back hours, well, they weren't as crazy as Sega, but we stayed relatively late. Um, we weren't crunching at the time, although we had, like, for E3, they wanted to show off the game with AI and stuff, so there were some things to get done quickly. And, yeah, it's just very different. When you're at a company that speaks English and you're a native <laughs> English speaker, you know what's going on, you hear what people are talking about yeah. next to you. You read the emails that come to company emails. When you're not fluent in the language, like you just go, okay, I can't. I don't like have time outsider. to read all that stuff that goes right. by my Figure desk. I just out. have to do my work, and and that's about as much as I can do. Just writing a re- response to somebody, you know, takes 
10, 20 minutes while you research the kanji and <laughs> right, sure right. not, you know, telling them to kill their grandmother. Or something. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, yeah. So you ship CTR and huge critical success, big sales numbers. PS2 is now coming on the horizon. You're starting to get early word because you're at Naughty Dog. Yeah, no, they had already started on PS2 stuff before Naughty Dog shipped, like the, the other guys. Andy Gavin and, and Mark was there and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, so then when the, now you, when the crash team racing team was done, they, those people moved over to the other team after, you know, a couple of weeks of rest. Actually, right. it was actually, they actually had a really nice policy at the time because they'd always shoot for Christmas mm-hmm. and basically they're like, okay, whenever you ship, you guys have off until next year. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. So, it's so like I think ex- we got like seven weeks off. Nice. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So was it, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm was sure it, the Naughty Dogs that are there now are like, why don't we have that now? <laughs> <laughs> was it Jack and Dexter already? Was it, it was Jack and Dexter already. At that yeah. time? I don't okay. know what it was called Jack and Dexter, but yeah, it was right. supposed to be a game about some character with a sidekick. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And so then you moved on, on to that. And right. Working on the PS2. Yeah, and Andy's Notoriously. famous system. Well, it was the Notorious system, but, you know, the, some of those guys that were amazing. So Mark and Andy and those guys made the system goal, which was mm-hmm. game, uh, game-oriented game assembly lisp that actually lets you program all, I think, seven processors in the same Whoa. system. And in their own language, that was lisp-like, which is different for some people. Um, but it let them do things that easier than than a lot of teams were able to do mm. and then you know i don't know who would want to take credit for getting the speed up but they would take the time kind of like they did with 3do to figure out well how do you get the most speed out of the system and that was like an example at sega when i came back to sega after Naughty dog um they had their library team again and their library team could only get four characters on the screen at 60 hertz and you know you go to the the american um Sony dev site and they had a sample with 57 characters on the screen at 60 hertz. <laughs> but the, the difference was that, that it took you, it took a certain type of programming to get that kind of speed out that you had to do all this special stuff. Kind of like you, you mentioned, uh, John Carmack apparently figured out the special technique to get right. scrolling games on PC. Well, it's the same kind of stuff on PS2, PS, yeah. So I feel like this is a right of, this is an interesting time because this is a time when some Western, I mean, the, the resurgence, especially into Xbox and stuff like that, when Western developers started getting more technically savvy right. than the Japanese developers did. Um, but so, so you're at Naughty Dog working on Jack and Daxter. And what are you doing there? What are you thinking about? What's the working environment like? What's, I was working on, uh, AI for the characters and for enemies and for enemies, things like that. Yeah. And yeah, there was a, a big blow up between me and Jason. Ridiculous blow up. Really? Uh, yeah. And Epic I quit on the spot. Story. Jason really. Yeah. Really? <laughs> quit on the spot. Quit on the spot. Whoa. I guess some people still talk about it apparently. No, yeah. <laughs> was this was this like some thing that now in retrospect is hilarious? Like, no, no, this well, fuzzy so, wuzzy would never fucking yeah. ever attack. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> my name on the goddamn sandwich. <laughs> so Jason Jason and I are both very hot headed type of people. Mm-hmm. We can get set off. You know, I don't want to say anything bad about him. He's a great boss. He's super fair um, about payment or, you know, or what do you want to call it? Um, compensation, all that kind of stuff. It was mm-hmm. a great place to work. And he's also amazing at, at keeping everybody focused. Because a lot of companies, like, they ship those games on time every year. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, something that most other companies didn't do. 
but yeah, I remember I was, he, for some reason, like when we were on crash team racing, there was no set hours and we managed to ship on time. Yeah. But he decided to put in like core hours for um, Jack and Dexter. So core made, hours where you had to be there yeah. during these times. For so he made the core hours right. like 1030. And one day I showed up at like 1115 and he called me in his office and was like, called me aside and was like, Greg, you're in late. You know, and, and I had been there like 90 minutes earlier the day before. I'm like, dude, you're like ahead 45 minutes. Get off my case. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, right. You know, and then I, I don't know if I just walked away or something, but I was like, you know, you know, shut up. Like you're ahead. Shut up. Right. Right. <laughs> it's kind of my attitude. Of course, he didn't take that well. So right. Right. He calls me in later and I don't remember the, I mean, these details might not be exact, but I just remember certain things like, you know, mm. you wouldn't get away with this if you were like working at the gap. And I'm like, dude, I am not a <laughs> programmer, right? Um, he actually used so, the gap as yeah, retail. Or something like that. Maybe retail. I don't remember. Okay. And so, yeah, it escalated one more level and it just blew up. I'm just like, you know, screw this shit. And I don't remember what exactly happened, but yeah, I just basically took all my stuff, marched out. And, wow. 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 So you did quit for and over apparently, a yeah, he, stupid and of course, reason. he was very angry as well. And so like, then he like, yeah, pulled everybody together and like laid down the law. You know, he like, he started stricting more strict hours and like, you can't leave the office. You're going to leave the office for lunch. And these are the exact <laughs> hours. And I don't know all the details. You'd have to ask the guys who stayed, but right. Wow. right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you walk out of there and are you like, yeah, fuck yeah. Or are you afterwards like, oh shit, what the fuck did I just <laughs> do? Um, I was actually a little, well, so um, we got pretty big bonuses from Crash Team Racing. Mm. So you had royalty. We had royalties. Yeah. I'd gotten my first check. You know, they didn't keep because because I quit, right? right? But it was a pretty big check. And uh, um, that game sold well. Yeah, it sold at least two and a half million copies. <clears throat> wow. Um, maybe more. And uh, I thought I was going to start my own company, not necessarily like a big company, but you know, do some indie stuff. With Danny, Danny Chan had already left. He was like, he didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. And, uh, and so we kind of had this plan to do something together, but then he had a family emergency and had to go to Hong Kong mm. and, uh, for about six months. And I'm like, okay, well, why, I, I was still interested in learning Japanese. And I'm like, okay, well, while you're in Hong Kong, I'm just going to go back to Jap Japan for six months mm. and do this. And when you get back, I'll fly back and we'll start and, uh, start the company. So I flew to Japan and joined a Japanese language school. Mm -hmm. Planned to only be here six months and it being six years. <laughs> wow. But you came back at that time, no job, just I'm going to be a pure yeah, student. Yeah, I'm just like, I've got some money. I can just do this for six months and <clears throat> not break the bank. And right. then I'll come back and we'll start a thing. So then what happened? So I was learning Japanese. I talked to Danny. He got back about six months later. He's like, I don't feel like doing it right now. Let's wait a little while. And by the time he did feel like doing it, I was out of money and needed a job. <laughs> so... uh <clears throat> Yeah, so I took language classes for about a year and a half and then needed money and went and asked my old Sega guys if they would, you know, let me work there again. They were originally called AM, AM, AM1. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was the time when Sega gave all those studios some autonomy and they all changed the name. So there were there right. the nine studios, yeah. DJ, Hitmaker. And Hitmaker. And, and so AM1 name says Wow Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they, let me in so i was there for a while and so what were they working on at that time so when i started they put me on like a gamecube game and i guess it was going to be kind of an action adventure but they canceled it within a month oh wow <laughs> and then they said game? they Do said you remember anything about it was, i don't remember any details mm -hmm. i think it was called beans i have no idea mysterious nothing no i wrote details some, about I wrote it some at stuff all. to try to make it easy for the scriptures to set up puzzle logic and then you know the game got canceled and 
That's as far as I got. And then they said, well, how about you work on uh, House of the Dead 4? But we're not going to do it, even consider it, until House of the Dead 3 ships, which is what they're working on. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I've got nothing to do. <laughs> and then there was some Shinsen Gumi game that they said, okay, how about on this team? Oh, yeah. And it was this weird thing where they had some deal with, I don't remember the name of the company, Red Entertainment? Yeah, yeah. Right. And they said, so the deal was that Red Entertainment was, I, this is my understanding, and I could have it wrong. Red Entertainment was doing the artwork for some other game that they were shipping. And the deal was that Red Entertainment was going to be the designers for this Shinsen Gumi game. And, uh, and, and somehow they had this like, you know, trading art for design. Red Entertainment wanted Red did the stuff for Sakura Tyson, I think. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. 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 So the problem there, I guess, was there was, a, without them being on site, it was really hard to make a lot of forward progress because there's always a negotiation between what they, what they say they want, having never actually done any game design. Mm-hmm. And, you know, real game design, I guess. Sure, sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was never going anywhere. So I ended up writing art tools, try to get them onto off of this, give the programmers all the art assets and have them compile it once a day and give them a system where they could edit levels live mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. artists could build characters and levels and see them live. And so that's what I worked on for those that time. Mm-hmm. And the thing that actually made me leave was I did that for, I don't know, eight months. And I'm like, I'm just doing this alone. I'm not talking to anybody. I, the reason I stayed originally was, I thought, okay, I've been learning Japanese, but my Japanese still is crap. And so I'll stay at Sega for a while and keep getting practice. But I wasn't getting any practice. They weren't going out to dinner anymore. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actually on a team. I was doing these tools myself, so I didn't have to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And so after a while, I was like, okay, this is baloney. I'm getting paid nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting any practice. Yeah. I should just go back to America. And so that was what happened, except I didn't actually end up going back. I ended up getting a job at Sony. Um, yeah, so how? Yeah. How did that? So that was another, I just applied. I was like, like applying for stuff in America and so nothing was coming. Um, and I, like, I need a job. I'm like out of money. Right. So I applied and just went to their website. And, and I think they, you know, I had friends there. Like, I don't know if you guys have interviewed Hasegawa san here. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good but friend of ours. I don't know if he had anything to do with it, but you know, some of the people knew me from Naya Dog. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what made them like give me a chance, but basically <laughs> they brought me in for a few interviews and ended up hiring me. And hiring you for what was it? So originally they hired me to work on a PS3 game. (coughs) Um, They didn't know what game yet. I was uh, under Kaido-san, which is the producer of the Ico Ico and and Shadow of the Colossus. Colossus. And so he had one team, that team, with Ueda-san and all that stuff. And then Mm -hmm. he had the other team, me, and and, uh, another artist. Um, And they basically, you know, come up with ideas. And so we pitched a few ideas. And nothing was necessarily, it was approved and basically wasted like a whole year, year and a half, almost like doing nothing. Like first we pitched a few ideas. Then we're like, this is the year, like the time when shaders came into the big Mm -hmm. deal and like Half-Life 2 was coming out and, and then maybe Doom 3 had just come out. The first game, like Doom 3 didn't, I don't think had shaders. It had this fixed function thing, but when games started actually looking very real Mm. and like you'd actually see the bumps of every scale on a monster or or all the like little cracks and and crevices on on a wall. Right. Um, and so, like, after the games didn't get approved, then we, like, said, okay, let's just play with shaders for a while and see what that's like. And we made a couple of demos. And then... Did you want one other guy at this point? Me Basically, and, yeah, there was, there was three guys. There was a planner, uh, uh, artist, and two programmers. And uh, then, yeah, 
I think there was a thing called natural motion, which is the system that tries to do uh, algorithmically generated motion. They use it in movies like you can have your actor do like a run and, and, and motion capture it. But when you need to actually get them exploded by the bomb, you yeah. can't <laughs> actually throw them in a bomb. So you actually give it to the system at that point and, and, and tell there's an explosion here and it will make the character fly through the air and flail his arms and land on the ground. And then you go tell the actor, okay, get him the pose that he ended in and continue with the rest of the stuff. Right? Oh, wow. okay. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So for a minute there, they thought about licensing this tech for games. And I don't know which games it ended up in, but they came and pitched it to us and said, you know, we were just looking for two or three developers to be our, like, first guinea pigs and make a game based on this tech. And I think our producer said, okay, let's make, you know the game where you have the marble and you turn the knobs and tilt the level? Yeah, oh, yeah, let's yeah. make the same game except with a guy. Yeah. So yeah, nothing ever happened. And finally, um, uh, Konosan, which was the guy who ended up designing, uh, Lokoroko had the idea for Lokoroko. Actually, I don't know what order these things came in, but I showed him some spring physics demo. He was called Soda Play. It might still be on the internet. You go like sodaplay.com and showed him the spring stuff. And he's like, he was inspired or maybe that already fit an idea he had. Mm-hmm. And he came up with his pitch for, Local Roco, and he actually asked the other programmer that was with me to to make a a prototype, and yeah, I think there's some pictures of that on Wikipedia, that original mm. prototype. Oh, nice! Mm. But um, it, I mean, it was just like literally wireframes with two eyes, no mouth, mm. and then you had a room, and you could rotate the room, and they would squish. Mm-hmm. You could push some button to to put more of them in there, and you could like use the other button to draw lines to to see things to collide. Is with. the PSP out at this point? No. Okay. They're still working on it. So at this point, are you I thinking think, this is a PS3 game? Or are you thinking? I'm maybe? pretty sure he was thinking it was a PSP game. Yeah. He knew what it I mean, obviously internally we knew what the thing was. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I ended up joining that team mm-hmm. and making that. I heard that Konosan had to make his pitch like three times to his boss. Yeah. He was turned you, down like several times. It's right? just like in the States, like if it's not the next, whatever the last hit was, mm-hmm. marketing doesn't get it. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I pitched a game. I can't tell you the details because Sony owns it, but I pitched a game that like all the other developers, like, yes, they all wanted to work in this game, but management just had no clue. Really? And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I guess you could say it was, and I don't know that it would be any good, but you could probably say it was like Animal Crossing uh, multiplayer online. Right. Mm-hmm. That was like the kind of like, you know, Animal Crossing meets Farmville. If you want to do it, right. something that people will get today. Right, like right. Farmville, what? Money signs? Yes. You know, <laughs> make that. Right. Now but you can probably then, sell yeah. it. You guys just back sell then, it that they way. They yeah. didn't get it. Yeah. So uh, you're like, uh. So uh, were you on board from the start when you see the, the sort of Loco Roco idea? Yes, I mean, part yes. of partially it's your thing. You're, yeah. you're into it. The, the art direction and the visual design and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I saw the. I don't know when I saw some of the other designs, the older designs, like when they were looking for like, maybe they're going to look like jelly bellies or they're going to look like clay. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the one they settled on, I really liked. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. So for the extensive research I did for this show, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I seriously searched because I remember when uh, Rolando came out for the right. iPhone afterwards. Oh, so yeah. I did a search this oh, time right. for Loco Roco, I think ripoff. And the funny thing is, I found the the first link I think that comes up is actually on your blog. About the gish. <laughs> yes, of yeah. somebody oh, accusing yeah. you guys yeah. of ripping off Super Meat Boys, now, you know, famous uh what's his name? Edmund McMillan or whatever, mm-hmm. the Gish game. Which is so hilarious now in retrospect because like whatever sort of tenuous connection there is there, Rolando, I think, came out was like <laughs> 
one of the most blatant <laughs> ripoffs yeah. I've seen they basically in games. Stole period, the assets out of local at all, <laughs> even down yeah. to the name. I mean, it just seems to me so well, blatant but, and I ridiculous. Rolando is like Kaiser Roll. I mean, to give them some credit, because I, you know, I first saw him like, ah, oh, local ripoff, rip, rip, but it's not. Right, the gameplay is very different. It's a very, it's a very much slower paced game. Right, puzzles are very more deliberate. So yeah, it you is. Know, but but that's a very. Those are very relative things. Like to me, or like my mom, or whoever right, sees right. screenshots of those two games. Right, it's one of those things that yeah, you're right. But it's one of those things where you you know that's like saying that any game that's got 2D platforms and a guy runs and jumps is a Mario clone. Like no, right? That that's mm-hmm. not that's not enough to be the clone. Right. You need more to it than that. So, so yeah, if you play the games, they feel very different. They play very different. That is true. Yeah. And you're very gracious. Yeah. No, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, to- towards them. I mean, but- perhaps it's more. If you want to be more specific, then I guess you could say it's a visual ripoff, right? Because I mean, visually, art direction, there are other art direction wise. Like, I feel like art direction. I feel a like is what bit. because because <laughs> and to your point and on your own blog when you're defending, I mean not even defending but just explaining like well here's what it came from. It's like this squishy blob thing right. with physics. It's not rocket science. Like anybody who comes up with it. And to your Mario example, it's like a side scrolling sure. whatever. It's a genre. It just makes sense when you have this whole thing. But I think I think it was the art direction aspect okay. of it is what really hit me, which is like. Wow. Like, if you did not know, you would think this would be the same game from the same the people. Sequel. Sort of thing. Yeah. You don't have to say it. You don't have to say anything. I'm saying okay, it. Okay. Right. No, <laughs> you don't have to fine. say it. That's fine. Um, I liked Rolando. It was a different game. Yeah. Okay. Well, and so how, how was working on Loco Roco? Like, uh, Loco Roco was awesome just because I went from, like, so many years, like, whatever, year of Sega of just writing tools and not seeing, doing any real game work, for lack of a better way to put it. And then a year and a half of almost nothing, 50 prototypes. Right. To just like full bore go, right? We, I started like in May and we had the, the demo for TGS in September. And, wow. and, and I felt like I was able to bring something that as a Western developer to that team. And I gave them these tools that made, let them make those creative levels. And, and I didn't actually see most levels until it shipped, but you know, I'd mm. see them ask for features and I'd add them because I basically wrote all the animation system. All the level editing the tools and all the stuff that displays all that. And, uh, how big was that team? At the end, there was 18, but for the most of the product, there was less than 10. Mm. It was like maybe the last three months or four months, there was that's that awesome. 18. Mm. Um, but yeah, there were three programmers for the longest time. I guess you'd add a fourth because there was a guy who did special audio programming because that audio system cuts in the, it does all this cross mixing for the different voices and things right. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then he also had to get the data out so that, cause the guys sing, right? Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, ridiculous. so that stuff so is another cute. guy, but, um, yeah. So then when I actually got to play the game, I mean, while you're doing it, it was obviously, I was pretty excited when I actually got to play the game and see all the things that they made. And I, I made the system originally they said, well, give us a scripting language. And I'm like, no, right. I think we can <laughs> mm-hmm. do it this other way where you don't need a scripting language. And so I showed them that I said, okay, you guys, how about you guys use this for a month? And if you don't like it, then I will like, write something that takes what you've done and converts to the scripting language and give you a scripting language. And I think they, they were happy with what I gave them. So awesome. Um, they made three other, three or four other games with the same system. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, they made sequels, right? Oh, right. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, um, um, yeah. But if you go through that game, like that, those levels are so animated. Like so mm-hmm. many things change all the time. And yeah, basically I wrote all of the system that lets them do that. So nice. when you finally played the game, were you, were you pretty happy with yeah, it? Yeah, well, yeah. I was happy without playing it, it just because it was fun to make. But, you know, 
which is not true in every game. Some games you just kind of get lost or you're like, whatever, like I'm not really into flying helicopters, so this is cool, but I can't get into, <laughs> right. you know, the whole I'm hiding behind enemy lines thing, probably because I know what's going on. Right. But Local Rogue, I just liked from the beginning. So it was fun to play through the whole thing when it was done and try to get 100% and mm-hmm. all of those things. I know it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but I really liked it. It's what one of the few games I'm super proud of. That's awesome. cool. What, what was it like working at Sony as opposed to working at Sega? Well, Very it was different. different. It was cult, different in certain culture. ways. Yeah. I, maybe I feel like, um, Sony Japan is a little more experimental. Mm. Maybe that depends on which team because mm. AM1 at least was just, Hey, more House of the Dead and more shooting <laughs> games. <laughs> right. And, uh, I don't know who comes up with the ideas or what they do. Whereas Sony has shipped actually quite a few experimental games. Mm. Um, sure. Tokyo Jungle. They, they had a really weird, um, working environment in that. People, they, they had flexible hours. They didn't have core hours. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing was, like, people wouldn't come in until one or two. So there'd be times that I would come in, like, late, like I'm going to meet somebody. I'll, I'll meet somebody for lunch today. I'm meeting from, like, 12 to 1. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. I get in at one thirty. There's nobody there yet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But they would work until 11.30 or whatever. So, right, right, right. Um, it was, you know, not as many hours as the Sega guys put in, but they were still putting in their eight hours a day or whatever. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually nice, and especially if you live in a big city like, Tokyo or New York, something like that. It's easy to do that because you come out of the office at 11 and that's the time when you go meet your friends. Yeah, yeah. Depending mm-hmm. on the company. Or you come out at, at nine and it's still time to go meet your friends for drinks or whatever. Totally. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So it actually works. Whereas in like where I am now, Mountain View or something, that doesn't work as well. Right. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though because I mean, it, it probably depended a lot on where you were within Sega because of course, well, even Jake, our friend who was who was um, working at at UGA, even though they were doing pretty weird experimental things in games, the work environment was still pretty typical Japanese, like long hours in early, out late, had to be there, blah 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 blah, right. sort of thing. So it's interesting that Sony was actually like felt like coming from Sega at that time, who like most people perceive as being this weird experimental crazy, like you know, right. Uh, anything goes kind of company that actually moving to Sony was more, was more into that sort of feeling. Yeah. It w- there was definitely some differences. Like another one was that, um, Sega very much feels like a factory. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, they have the factory outfits if you want them. Oh, really? <laughs> well, Do you not have one? It, the jumpsuit? No, they had them if you oh, want them. They, dude, they also had the lead not? aprons in case you're worried that the hardware there is going to like Oh, right. Dude, how oh. fucking amazing <laughs> with that. Oh, man. I, I do have one of those so jackets. Bad. I have a Sega, like, Whatever the really factory jacket kind of thing. Oh mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. Nintendo um, have those too. Yeah, now, still, yeah. But I Sony Nintendo does not have those. They need mm-hmm. to sell those. Yeah, Sony, Sony would... always had like the cool and like creative image. Right. Yeah, because yeah, when you were in the, um working at Sony, that's probably like a few a couple years after I joined the industry. But yeah, that's that was like I was always like Sony was the fancy like um kakoi like cool company. Mm. Well, it definitely was neat to work next to the Eco team and the show. They work in the Shadow of the Colossus at the time. And being such a huge fan of Eco, I didn't like, I just like, okay, avert my eyes. Even though they're sitting like next cube over, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just people over you can look at. I'm like, no, I'm going to wait until the end. Really? So you actually like kept yourself out of, you weren't talking to them at lunch and stuff about what they were doing? No, I did not want to know. Really? When it was supposed to be multiplayer and all that stuff, you weren't. Well, I had seen the trailers of the original stuff where they show the guys riding in the hurt, you know, with the group and all that kind of stuff and but yeah other than that i didn't want to know oh man mm. do you know any of those guys do you still stay in touch with any of those like the team eco guys or that sort of stuff uh well 
Konosan worked on Eco, right? right. And, mm-hmm. and so did uh, um, Shimoyan. Shimoyan, yeah. 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 But he, but, with him. yeah, mm-hmm. but they, I didn't, yeah, I, I still keep in touch with them once in a while, but nobody who's like you'd consider official. Like, I've met Oedas on a few times, and of mm-hmm. course, um, Kaido san is the producer, but yeah, right. So he, it, but he left Sony as he well. Left Sony. Yeah, Sony. yeah, yeah. What's Laughter he doing was now? Asked to leave. I don't know which, right, uh-huh. right. <laughs> Any idea what he's doing? <laughs> no idea. Oedas san or Kaido san? Kaido san. Yeah, no, I have no idea. Um, okay, so you. What what happens then? What happens next? Finally, uh, you're finally. At Sony, well, at some Roku point, happens. you know, you, if you've heard this before, Japan pays their programmers horribly, mm-hmm. especially game programmers. So at some point, I'm like, okay, I'm too old to to do this and make this little bit amount of money. Right. Um. So I tried to look for another job in Japan, didn't find anything, and ended up going to Namco Bandai America, and that was actually Danny Chan and uh, other friends that I'd worked with before were there. And I probably Afro wouldn't have Samurai. gone. Yeah, this yeah. was Afro Samurai. I probably wouldn't have gone except that uh, a couple of the companies they interviewed for here sent flew me back to America to do their interview process. And one of them was NVIDIA, oh. which is just one exit from on the freeway from Namco. <laughs> so I go visit my friends. and I'm like, Ray, come join us. And all of a sudden I felt all this the stuff that I've been missing in Japan mm-hmm. being very close and feeling like it really be a part of, of the whole company and not just... You know, the, the one programmer working over there in the corner type right. of thing. Right, right, and right. And so, yeah, I picked that. If I hadn't probably visited them, I probably would have told them no and picked one of the other jobs. Mm-hmm. So you can, <laughs> and you guys can blame yourselves for picking over there. Um, I a sense of theme at this, this slate, you know, just go where your friends are. It seems to be where it's at. It mm-hmm. does work somewhat that way, yeah. And so that's what brought me back. So Afro Samurai? Afro like. Samurai was different. The team was fairly disorganized. Mm. Maybe not on the programming side, but yeah, the design side and the producing side that like seemed like every week and a half, like the producer would say, would ask somebody else to be the new lead, lead designer. <laughs> I don't know if there was progress being made or what. Yeah, right. but there was a lot of turmoil. And, uh, and then the other thing was, if you've played the game, it's obviously not the greatest game ever. But um, we did actually find the fun part like about three months before it shipped. And if we had found that earlier or mm-hmm. they had more time, they would have probably made an awesome game. Frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but, but you not know, too they, rare either. I don't, I don't feel like it happens a lot. I it does like. happen a lot, and yeah. it's kind of sad. And then part of that, you probably heard, like, Nintendo apparently does a better job, but they keep a very small team until they found the fun. Right. And then uh, they make the big team. But this right. is like, no, we pick a date you're going to ship, start now, right. go, right? And you can't fix that if you do development that was that sort way. of the tail end of a short era where namco bandai was making a lot of weird decisions but uh, i mean like developing stuff in-house and making some weird games and stuff but they've yeah, kind of cooled the, off the a little splatter, bit on that. was splatterhouse going on around splatterhouse was well? there but they were it was done by an external team right before i left and did that ever come out it did get yeah out. it got pulled internally at one point that whole saga was its own crazy yeah. i think tale but so so did that sour you on game development was that your last no it didn't sour me in game development so what happened was um, Chris Pruitt, who you guys mm-hmm. work with. Yeah. Of course. Um, I was Just talking to him. Last we would talk about game development a lot. And one of the things I wanted to do when I was at Sony was I wanted to make an open source game engine. And the reason that came up is kind of like I mentioned earlier, when I asked for the Ape Escape engine, they said no. Mm-hmm. And so I asked them, well, buy me Unreal. And it was like a million bucks at the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a free version. <laughs> and Sony hadn't licensed it for all the developers yet. So uh, they were like, no, fig- you know, make a prototype. And then if the prototype's proved, we'll... Uh, you know, buy you an engine. And I'm like, but I can't make the prototype without an engine. <laughs> we make all Chicken the engine parts egg. to make your prototype. Yeah. Um, so that was really frustrating. And I was like, okay, well, if there was an open source engine that didn't suck, 
because there's open source. Oh, I shouldn't say that's kind of being mean. There's open source engines like Ogre, but Ogre is designed for PCs. The, the decisions that were made were, were relevant back in like 98 or 2000 when it was made, but they don't fit PC development or console development. So I was like, if there was an open source engine, that'd be awesome. I had talked to some people. I thought maybe IBM would fund this. They would be like, they'll fund this. Mm-hmm. And then just it'll be another one of the consulting things. Somebody wants a game made. They'll go to IBM, give them billions of dollars and they'll right. make a game for you. Like they do with websites and stuff. Yeah. Cause they were getting big into that. Yeah. So I talked to Chris Pruitt and he was like, Oh, well, you should come talk to Google. And so Google was working on this plan to bring 3D to browsers, which is basically a game engine. And that's what brought me to Google. I'm like, oh, and they're going to open source it. I'm like, okay, this is my chance. And mm-hmm. my thinking at the time was, oh, yeah, I'll go to Google. I'll make this open source engine. Then I'll quit and, you know, start doing my own thing using the stuff I just wrote. <laughs> Not quite how it worked out. But right. that's what brought me there. Right. Wow, very cool. And that brings us pretty much to today, where I, am, yeah. I guess, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. That, that cool. got canceled. I work on all the graphics in Chrome now, which is like WebGL and stuff. And there are companies that are making games using that tech. Mm. That's about as close as I get to. She pretty happy there though. Uh, I think as, as, as kind of, not games. I know. well, games right. Sure. Do you still yeah. have a, an itch to be in games? In the gaming I think industry so. Like and... there's a big difference in that. The example I usually give that maybe makes it a little bit clearer is that a game team is usually 50% artists, you know, maybe 20% designers, 20% programmers, 10% other. And then a, a team at Google is 100% engineers. Mm, right. It's a very different dynamic. Mm-hmm. You're not making pretty things to put on the screen. You're not like, hey, I just made that guy's head explode and roll and leave blood. <laughs> 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 Everybody, you know? Everybody check this out. Whatever it is. I mean, cause that comes like in, in like, you know, Afro Samurai. One of the big things you can slice the characters anywhere and they bleed and guts come out. And yeah. All kind of stuff. <laughs> There's a huge next gen feature that yeah. was like Dead Rising. I was like, oh, wait, you can cut them anywhere and they yeah. actually cut them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those kind of things just really don't come up in, right. in at a Google type of company. Right. Greg, right. you want to um, make a game with me? Sure. <laughs> yeah. You could be you my team. That's a chance. There you go. Exactly. Small yeah, game. I mean, as as game, well, it's not just game. As tech companies go, I mean, it's it seems to me like Google is just pretty hard to beat. So I it's think you know, if you're going to be anywhere, yeah. making a lot of money, doing things you're good at, Google seems like a nice place to do it. Well, yeah. and if they ever get off their asses and do their big, you know, secret gaming thing, that's always the rumor that comes around every six months yeah. or something. They Everybody know keeps trying. Right. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like, you know, we've all seen Microsoft ships platforms and they make games. Yeah. Why don't we have a games division? Right. But there's, I think Microsoft has the same issue where their main company is not a, a contents company. Right. And a right. contents company is very different. Very like, different. You have superstars and you yeah. have egos. I mean, they have the egos and, and, you, and you have this creative thing where somebody has a creative vision. Right. It's not just ship it and iterate. That's not how games work. And it's been, it or was least, hard. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a saga getting to where, even where they are now, yeah. like having exactly what you're talking about, letting the creators, I mean, Bungie is its own weird kind of tale within that, but, but it is kind of a similar tale, but it would make a whole hell of a lot of sense, especially now that Google has its own mobile thing going on. It's got its own tablets thing going on. It's got everything. And considering the size of some of the projects they've actually canceled already, right? There was that, I forget what they are already, but they had that huge thing, a couple of, was it Google? Yeah, Google Wave was like right. this huge thing, and then they just right. like, nah, it's not gonna work. Let's scrap it. And I mean, Google, what's the thing now with the circles? Google <laughs> circles, Google, Google Plus, Google Plus. I mean, I don't yeah, know how long that's going around. Yeah. It's yeah. like you know, you figure if they can take chances on stuff like that, why not take a chance on? Well, them? I mean, that's yeah. a bazillion dollar. I can market, imagine that so. like ten percent of the engineers would jump 
into the games division. Right? If they, if they right. Really, there's a lot of people. Maybe that's what they're afraid it. of, that they'll just, just pull everyone like, away. Why would you just doing? don't surrender that to, you know, to, to Apple or something? There's something where you can actually pull out of them and actually pushing the... Apple's the, the same thing. Party They're market. another platform where you think they could maybe want to do their own games. It's coming. It's coming sooner or later. No, you wonder, but I've heard they're, they're not, not going to do yeah, that. I've known I, people that have quit because they, they hope that they would and it hasn't yeah. happened, so I don't hmm. know. I don't see them doing it for some reason. I don't reason, see them but... making games. I see them making the game platform, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. well, yeah. whatever, maybe. Well, well, if they do that, then... There they... is the Mac, and there are hardly any Mac games, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah, but there, I mean, well, this is a different topic entirely, but the whole Apple Utopia thing we've been talking about forever, it's coming. Like, they are going to invade the living room in your TV and, and open up the... They're making shit tons of money on the App Store and they know it and they see an opportunity to bring out the Well, no, room. see, that, that's no, no, the but thing. They're making shit, some, shit tons of money by doing nothing. Why? Right. right. They, that's why, why I'm saying yeah. the platform. I'm not saying they're going to make their own games. But I'm that's they still doing that's something. What, yeah, I just, so, I just think the platforms are there. Yeah. And, like, you know, if people want to do it, like, I think the bear for entry into something like you know ios is a lot lower than actually like coming up with like okay we need a team to do something for this dedicated system that just seems like yes but the other thing besides a cell phone that everybody has and needs is a tv and i think that's that's the only other thing that makes sense to them to go and approach and and attack well and google's been making plays there too but i I, I do think it would be an interesting plan of attack for Google to say, okay, well, we are going to actually have a first party thing that's going to mm. show people a, a badass team of fucking commando ninjas <laughs> that is going to make this incredible shit, which is all first party is supposed to do. A Nintendo like, you know, cadre of people that is going to actually Pied Piper developers over to, you know, Android away from iOS. I would love to see them do that. I don't have any hope that it's going to happen, really, but, you know. Well, where um, can people find you if they need to look for you (laughs) in order to head up this new badass division? Obviously, gregman.com That works. Two two Mm -hmm. G's on the uh, the middle there. Um, are, Are you on the Twitter? I have a Twitter. I have not gotten addicted yet. You don't use yet. it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you guys got to start tweeting me, and I'll start replying. You want to share yeah, it? What's, yeah. your, what's your Twitter name? It's yeah, Greg, at Gregman. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. With the G-R-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-G-
brother-in-law's sister's porch. <laughs> they left it there because they had to leave. Anyway, he's going to mule it all the way here with a copy of Dark Souls and a nice. strategy guide, which I got off Amazon for 13 bucks when that sale happened recently. So we'll see how that ha- Tony's very you, you, excited. You do realize that the, uh, about that. the uh, strategy guide is almost useless now. With, like, yeah, the I, yeah. I did mm-hmm. realize that, but I got that for probably why it was cheap, too. It's a nice little art book. It nice like art, though, yeah. Yeah. I figured the maps at least would be useful. but uh, I, I thought the maps were not very good in that guide. Yeah, uh, kind of <laughs> hard to use. Um, Let's see. What else? Uh, Walking Dead I started playing. Which, really? Which yeah. one? Uh, the uh, iOS version. Oh, because it was free? Yeah. Apparently the Xbox one was free, too, for like a day or something. Really? Oh, yeah. man. I'll play that more before I have a real comment on it, but I, I think I'm going to have some things to say about cool. that. I'm going to I'm gonna try and play that. That's actually, I got to add that to my list. That's one of the games I want to <laughs> play. Over. I got like a list of 10 games I'm going to play over likes, the break. My wife likes a TV show, but I started playing the game in front of her just to try to kind of just you know sneak yeah. it in there she's mm-hmm. like nope she got bored not 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 pulling me at all yep mm-hmm. same by definition it's not the kind of game that i would like i but i just everybody's everybody's like like just so a lot of the game it. of the year lists a lot of best writing which is what particularly interests sure. me so yeah we'll see so mm-hmm. other people uh break plans winter break was our last I got a laundry day. list of stuff I'm going to be playing. I mean, besides the obvious, we've been playing Monster Hunter a whole so, bunch. So, yes, I'm going to get my gunner armor uh, probably for that setup. Playing that. Dragon Quest Ten, the big 1.2 update came, came out today. Two new job classes, a whole bunch of cool stuff to do. Been talking to Andy, who was on the podcast, and Kyle, who also is on the podcast. We're going to do a, like a 12-hour marathon day. Just play <laughs> Dragon Quest all day. Like order pizza, you know. That's wow. all, the whole, the works. Uh, I'm playing Persona 4. I'm going to get Crimson Trout is out for yes. the eShop. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, Matsuno's game in English. Hmm. Uh, I think I'm finally going to play Fez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, actually, I need to go back to that. Fez just seems like a holiday game to me. I don't know. It seems like the kind of game mm. you'd want to play when you have a week to just do nothing but yep. play games. Yeah. I'm going to play the Soul Sacrifice demo, Walking Dead. Uh, and then I'm going to play some virtual console stuff because I have good memories. Like every year during Christmas, like when Shane would come out or whatever, we'd play like old games on virtual console. Mm. So I'm going to find something old. Like the Castlevania we played. Yeah. Yeah. We played the Castlevania and Gradius. I think I might, I, I started Newtopia last year and I think I might finish it this year. So <laughs> nice. nice. But yeah. Mm. Anybody else? Other people? Well, I, um, I wanted to get Trails in the Sky HD because I've been playing that on my Vita on um, the PSP version. And I was going to transfer that to my PS3. And in the process of getting that, I put enough money into my PSN account that I wanted to buy something else. So I ended up purchasing the Unfinished Swan. Ah, uh, yes. So I'm going to be playing both of those. I have only barely touched both of them. Unfinished Swan, I got into the second level and I'm really enjoying it. And the game seems pretty short, so I know I'll yeah. be able to finish that. Uh, I'm going to, I would like to play Soul Sacrifice multiplayer with some of you people yeah, who yeah, haven't we'll played yet. Yeah. Yes. Play, yeah. yep. um, and I'm also going to be trying to go back to Dark Souls after a long hiatus nice. because this seems to be the going back to Dark <laughs> Dark Souls winter. And then yep. probably, I would do that, but then I feel like my whole break is going to be taken up playing Dark Souls. So <laughs> I want to play other stuff too. And then also going to um, go back to Persona 4, which is another one of the, the game, one of those games that you just com- keep coming back to. You stop for a while, but then you keep coming back. So go back and play Persona 4, Brendan, San, John, <laughs> Sensei, <laughs> Senpai. <laughs> and that's me for. I'm going to be making a game. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll look forward to playing your yes. game after the break. You'll yeah. be done, surely. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be waiting for everybody's ideas. Yep. And yeah, ideas. I'm going to have Greg as my teammate. So it's going to be a kick-ass game. Nice. Awesome. I am I have no break. My break is here. Ah. So I pretty much get back. I have like one day and then back to work. 
Aww. Yeah, but you've been doing it right, Greg. I always, I always have like tons. I mean, always have had, even when you lived here, tons of respect for Greg because he still does it right. He's even older than I am, but he goes out and parties, like makes the most of his time, always has a good time, always, always fashionable, always yep. like staying on top of things. This is the example of how you should grow <laughs> up, basically. When I grow up, I want to be Greg. Man. <laughs> oh. Oh. High praise, Tony. Um, I'm gonna probably gonna finish XCOM, and then I'm well. I know for at least two or three days I'll be covering like MMA stuff that happens here around New so Year's. So big New Year's K1 fight. stuff, right? Eh, well, K1 doesn't exist anymore. They Wait, what's the new? Or... Isn't the New Year's thing K1 thing? Uh, well, it was not 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 this year. This oh. year it's um it's an MMA event called Dream, but they're bankrolled by oh. uh, a Dutch promotion called Glory. And they were affiliated with K1. Dream and they, glory. Dream and glory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 I'll do that. But then after that, I'm, I'm thinking I want to actually seriously learn and actually get through a game of Crusader Kings 2, which I'm drawing blank stairs here. Is that a PC <laughs> game? I guess it's a PC game, but basically it's a, it's a kind of medieval dynasty simulator. Basically think Game of Thrones the game. Hmm. And you're basically like, you know, I'm um, simulating like the different personalities, like the different lords and whatever. And it's got like these just, it's just insanely complex. Um, there is a Game of Thrones mod out there, actually. Huh, really? And that's partly the reason why I want to, I want to, I want to get into it. But mm -hmm. it's so intimidating that every time I start it now, I'm like, okay, I know I don't have a lot of time and I actually want to have fun today. So I'll save this for a time yeah, where I can those. learn it and actually have fun. So I think that's going to be my break game. Who makes mm -hmm. that game? Um, I believe it's a paradox. Okay. It's not, it's not like it's a huge a, developer or anything. It's a okay. European one. Gotcha. Um, quick fact checking. Apparently, uh, from last week, uh, George Washington was going to be the king. JJ of got some America flack for something. I am. and we <laughs> we made fun of the idea that George Washington would, <laughs> would be ever be a king, king of America. But apparently, people kind of expected him. That to be could have king happened. Of America. <laughs> um, okay, cool, whatever. Um, Minecraft documentary. I didn't get a chance much to talk about that. We'll talk about that next time. That's out. Story of Mojang. Check it out. Uh, Ecstasy of Order, the Tetris Masters. I'm actually gonna watch that ASAP. It's on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, cool. documentary about, like, crazy classic the Tetris World like, Championship Tetris Master Championship people, oh, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, that sounds kind of fun. Monster Hunter 4 got delayed. We can't oh. really get into that here now, but, uh, so mm -hmm. we will probably be playing more of the English Monster Hunter 3. Right. Ultimate. Like, that, you know, it's extended. It's, uh, at least three months, basically. Uh, you have a Neo Geo X on the way? Yeah, it's shipped today, too. But I'm not going to be here to pick it up, because today's oh. our last day of work. So we'll shock, make a shock. I'm like, oh, grab it. Yes. <laughs> you can talk about that, at least probably next. I couldn't resist. I can't resist any game hardware that comes out. It's just, ugh. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> that you're getting it, so I can see it. Apparently, <laughs> SNK is teasing, like, more Metal Slug this year. I don't know if you saw that. Companies had their New Year's greetings. And they're talking really? About kind of metal slug, something or other. Speaking of New Year's greetings, we yeah. will, uh, after the New Year, we will, as we do every year now, we'll post, uh, all of the game industry's awesome, uh, Nengajo's New Year's cards, including yes. our yeah. own, which yes. is pretty freaking rad this year. Incredibly rad. Again. Yeah, very rad. Yeah. So look I wonder to how that. many companies will be sending us Nengajo's these years, because every year it's getting lesser and lesser, mm. and people are s sending out digital, um, emails, uh, um, right. instead of. Lame. We do it old school, hire a rad <laughs> artist. 
to make a rad yep. card and send it out to rad artists. We did it right. Eightful. People. Eightful. We're keeping it real. In the next year. Mm-hmm. That's right. We nailed it again. Yes. Three yeah. years running. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that more next time. Mm-hmm. Until then, where could people talk about us, put their feedback? What uh, 8-4.jp on the interwebs. Uh, Facebook, look us up, 84. Um, Twitter, 84play, or our individual accounts. Uh, Mark McT. I'm John TV. Hiroko 84. Brendan Beyond. Just Tony L. And, uh, of course, as we said earlier. Greg Mann. Greg Mann. Uh, two G's. One G at the top, two G's in the middle. Um, um we forgot. GiantBomb.com. Uh, yes. Our hosts, our friends. Mm-hmm. What did we forget? We forgot to ask, um, what game Greg is playing. Oh, you right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> I have been playing, uh, Mainichi no Mimikaki. Mainichi no Mimikaki. Yeah. Every day. It is ear. a game where you clean out some ear guy's game. ears. Some old guy's ears. <laughs> some right? old guy's ears. Yeah. <laughs> that's so you the sit most there fascinating and part. you use your finger to like move the little like, in Japan, or in Asia, they have these really long thing, two things made out of bamboo that look like a little thing you'd scrape somebody's brains out of their skull with, <laughs> and you stick it in their ear, and and feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. And they clean it out. Yeah, I don't trust so anybody good. to touch that. What? So in this it's game, the best thing ever. In this game, you yeah, somebody you, you sit there and may play a thing, and you try to find the one spot where the secret thing is, uh-huh. and when you do that, the game switches to show like inside the ear. <laughs> And then you Whoa. have to like pull the thing out without like hitting any hairs on the way out. Oh my god! And then God. you get all the way out, then so it's like then you find like like thing. At a, at point there's like little hairs going back and forth across, and you just yeah. have to pull it out. Oh. And right. then when you get it out, like it's like random. It says you found a screw, <laughs> or you found a coke can, right or whatever. And you're like, what? Awesome. <laughs> and that's wow. I guess that's only on the Japanese. Probably. Is that uh? Are you iOS. playing that on? Your iPhone? Uh, yes. Okay. This sounds exactly public. like the kind this of game. Did that cost inspiring. money or was that uh, It must have been free, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you hear about this game? There was some crazy late night show showing off. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Oh, while you're I here. See. Okay, you checked it out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I got to well, download it. We'll have to put a link to that maybe on the uh, on the website. That, that does notes. sound like something Hiroko would be playing. Yeah, that is my type <laughs> of game. Very inspiring. I'll make a nose picking game. There you go. There you go. Um, all right. Anything else? Anywhere else people should? No, I think us? we got most of it. You'll find us on NeoGAF, who actually, uh, joking aside, awarded us the, uh, number two, uh, podcast that's that right. right behind right. only our, our elder, uh, statesman at the Giant Bombcast. Indeed. Our, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, very awesome. good company we were in with, uh, yeah. Player One Podcast, uh, Idle Thumbs, We Can Confirmed. Yes. Um, so, yeah, all, all great podcasts. That was really cool, though. And lots of good feedback again. Like, we totally yep. hear it. We know we've been, you know, kind of not, there's not much to talk about when you're crunching on a game for six months, but right. we're out of that crunch now, so maybe we'll get a little more. Hopefully you enjoyed maybe. this episode. I thought it was pretty incredible. Yes. And, uh, Absolutely. Fascinating. We got guests coming on our next episode, too. That's so right. Look forward to that. As long as they're interesting. As long we'll as see. they don't flake. <laughs> as long as they don't flop. Yeah, flop. Um, all right, so uh, that's it for now. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays to yes. everybody. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. Um, 2013. Indeed. Um, and until then, Greg. Stay a while. Stay forever. Yes. <laughs> 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 Thank you.
just like your father. You disrespect me. He tried to stop me once, too. He was the only one that figured out that I was looking a lot further down the line than just being some sad sex stormer. You see, he found out that I was hunting for the orb in my spare time. Of course, when he threatened to unmask me, I had a few terrorists pay him a visit. You son of a... Well, Stormer, let's see how you match up with my little toy. You see, I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going into that precious brain of yours, and I'm going to extract that terror blast your friends at the Alliance gave you. I understand that the extractor can be a little disconcerting to the thought process. I'd uh, offer you a couple of aspirin, but uh, I'm not authorized to prescribe medication. <laughs> Think good thoughts.